For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. And starting with the morning papers, and I'm going to start with the bad news from the uh, Irish Independent, that motorists are facing a fresh threat in a diesel hike. Officials are pushing for a new range of levies. And these officials are the Commission on Taxation and welfare. If you're old enough to remember Hall's Pictorial Weekly, you might remember they had a Minister for Hardship. This uh, commission could be called a Commission for Hardship. A report is sitting on Minister Pascal Donoghue's desk, apparently, uh, which has called for hikes ahead of another rise in fuel prices as diesel and petrol are expected to hit €2 Euro per litre again this week. Now, the recommendations from the Commission on Taxation and Welfare. Welfare? How can you have somebody's welfare in mind if you're putting up the price of diesel for delivery all over the country. But here are the recommendations. Scrapping the green diesel concession for farmers. They make our food, for God's sake. A large hike in property tax. Increasing PRSI payments for the self-employed. Higher excise duty on home heating oil. It's also told Finance Minister Pascal Donoghue there should be a levy on holiday homes and a congestion charge. The commission was set up by government to independently consider how best the taxation and welfare systems can support economic activity, employment and prosperity. Uh, it's not actually aimed at prosperity, if you read what, the, uh, what they're saying there. Maybe prosperity for the nation, but on the backs of the citizens. The list of proposals after a year-long review of tax policy is set to challenge government thinking ahead of the budget. It wants to see an end to all subsidies on fuel and the tax on fuels should correlate to the level of emissions they produce. Now, this comes as Climate Minister Eamon Ryan will today warn that the government is preparing a plan to reduce gas use this winter as part of an EU request. The Green Party leader will blame Russia's invasion of Ukraine on the cost of natural gas being ten times the price it was two years ago. And the Irish Independent is also revealing the operator of the Corrib gas field has plans to continue extracting fuel off the West Coast for a decade longer than expected. But the bullet points again is scrapping the green diesel concession for farmers, a large hike in property tax, increasing PRSI payments by the self-employed, higher excise duty on home heating oil as well. And maybe that's just them getting it out there before the budget to make us all feel, ooh, tremble with fear. And then... uh, a kind of giveaway budget which is needed is going to come inside the independent today budgets are also to the fore household budgets under more strain as a tank of oil goes up 135 euros in a fortnight i rang my local oil supplier yesterday did some switching as well uh, on the back of yesterday's program actually hopped on to uh, where we spoke to a guy dara was it or jimmit from uh, bonkers.ie and uh, then when I knew what information I needed for the changing the electricity, literally a five-minute process, and some nice savings, €967 Euros a year saving for literally 10 minutes' work, gathering the information and actually doing it. Now, if it pans out that way, let's see. Uh, but I'm changing from SSE Electricity, as I mentioned yesterday. They were my provider, and uh, kind of 40% increase made me thinking, how has wind power gone up by 40%? Anyway, I've changed. Home heating oil prices have surged in the past two weeks. Oh yeah, I rang the local supplier. They said it went up twice uh, last week alone. Prices up around 135 for 1,000 euro fill in the past fortnight alone. And oil buyers are now paying almost 700 more for 1,000 litres than they did this time last year. If you had a time machine, you'd go back and fill your tank, wouldn't you? It comes as more electricity and gas price rises are expected before the weekend. 
The bad news keeps coming for consumers. Oil is back over $100 a barrel. Uh, that's 100 euros now. The dollar surpassed the euro in value over the last couple of days. Uh, and what's expected to push petrol and diesel prices back over 2 euro per litre? Some garages already uh, charging 2 euro according to pumps.ie. If you've seen cheap petrol and diesel, uh, I know I've seen on social media the uh, Ballyvalan cross there by Dunn Stores. Uh, one of those garages is offering great pricing. Uh, always decent enough pricing, uh, pricing on the Link Road uh, near the Elysian and uh, Rathcormac comes to the fore. I actually passed through Rathcormac last week. There are two garages there competing. One is cheaper for diesel and one is cheaper for petrol. So it depends what type of car you drive, I suppose. Now, gas futures are down slightly this week from record highs and wholesale gas prices determine electricity prices and gas prices in this country, with more than half of our electric uh, generated from gas. So if gas futures are down, why is electricity going up? Uh, anyway, you can uh, look at that in more detail inside page five, top right, uh, in the independent. Crude oil prices, by the way, rose yesterday as expectations that OPEC would cut output if needed to support prices. Yep, we are going to have a recession. It's going to be kind of a unique one. Uh, people are going to feel it in different ways this time, I think. Uh, but energy is going to have a major factor. Widow's Peak says the star today, a tropical spider bears a deadly venom. A spider whose population is growing in Ireland has venom up to 230 times more potent than native species and can car- uh, can harm humans. A study has shown the tiniest amounts of venom can cause medically significant symptoms in humans. And boffins say the noble false widow, originally from Madeira and the Canary Islands, can adapt to how it uses its poison to ensure it kills its prey in any fight. And this allows it to tackle creatures much larger than itself, including lizards, bats, shrews and other spiders and cause some trouble to humans as well. And we'll talk about spiders uh, in a few moments on the Neil Prendival Show. Uh, RTE, it stands for Real Top Earners. 119 staff members are making more than €100,000 a year. Not the contractors now, not the big boys this is staff. More than 100 staff members at RTE last year earned in excess of €100,000 in basic salary. Figures published by the broadcaster show that of those 119 employees, 22 made between 150 and €250,000. The remaining uh, 97 uh, earned between 100 and 150,000. The figures don't include RTE's top earners, including the likes of Ryan Toberty, Joe Duffy, and Ray Darcy. Uh, they are not RTE staff, but independent contractors are paid through companies uh, that they've established. Uh, the most recent available figures show that in 2019, Tuberty received €495,000, followed by Ray Darcy, who received 450000 Is that because he was on a TV show that he's no longer on? Uh, I wonder what he's on now. Uh, Joe Duffy's firm getting 392494 He's come a long way from being Gay, Gay Bourne's outside roving reporter, hasn't he? Um, um, not to say, of course, all these people are professionals and they do the job. And uh, that's what I try to do right here. Try just to do the job. And you get what you can for it and fair play to them. But one of the 22 RTE staff members in the 150 to 250 bracket uh, is 2021 uh, in 2021 is the RTE DG or Director General D Forbes. Uh, during 2021, Ms Forbes had a basic salary of 225,000, also enjoyed a car allowance of 25,000 uh, and with pension contributions of 56,000 a year. This brought Ms Forbes' overall package 
to 306,000. Last year, a further 179 RTE staff members earned between 80 and 100 grand. And the new figures show the average pay at RTE last year totaled 60,686. A decrease of 67, 67 euro decrease on the average salary of 6753 in 2020. 550 RTE staff earn between 60 and 80 grand, with the largest cohort uh, of 740 making between 40 and 60,000. I suppose you'd need it, uh, living in Dublin with the traffic congestion and the rent and all that sort of thing. Houston, we have a problem. Time running out as the engine cooling issue grounds the mega moon rocket. Uh, we were talking to David Moore from Astronomy Ireland yesterday and he was looking forward with bated breath to the launch of Artemis 1. The motto of Artemis 1 uh, mission, uh, by the way, has We Are Going. But yesterday it was clear NASA's mega moon rocket was going nowhere following a very tense eight hours in which there were weather delays, a suspected crack in the thermal casing, a hydrogen leak, and finally, a fatal engine cooling problem. Uh, at least it was fatal on the ground in that it was uh, fatal and that it aborted the mission and not blew up the rocket. Uh, but just minutes after the liftoff window opened at 8.33 a.m. local time in Florida, launch director Charlie Blackwell-Thompson took the, uh, the decision to scrub the ascent after engineers failed to find a solution to the coolant issue. It's the latest complication to be set the Artemis program, which was due to launch last year, but fell behind schedule before being hit by a string of technical failures during dummy runs earlier this year. One thing about the Americans is they're, they're going to want to get this one uh, right. Stressed out students, uh, leaving cert format will double stress. Uh, a Cork Secondary School teacher and former president of the Association of Secondary Teachers in Ireland, the ASTI, has said she fears proposed, uh, proposed changes to some leaving cert exams will increase stress on students rather than alleviate it. And also on the Echo Front page today, a quarter of Cork uh, CAMHS beds not operational. A quarter of all inpatient beds in Cork that are designated for children with mental health difficulties are not operational due to a consultant shortage. Cork outstripping Kerry meanwhile for tourism, says the examiner front page. County Cork has overtaken neighbours in County Kerry as the most prosperous region for domestic tourism. This is a newly published report by Fulcher Ireland, revealing 167 million euro came into Cork last year from Irish tourists, while the kingdom saw its revenue fall by a whopping 46% to 162 million. I want to get to our phone lines because we have somebody who's under a little bit of time pressure. Cork's number one talk show, The Neil Prendeville Show on Red FM. And at 19 minutes to nine, coming back to the morning papers a little later on, let's bid good morning to Sarah Jane. Sarah Jane, thank you for taking our call. Hi, good morning, Neil. How are you? Uh, very good. Listen, yeah, I know you have an appointment uh, at half nine, so if you need to go, just let us know, okay? No, no worries. Okay, 15-week-old son that you have was bitten by the spider I mentioned in the newspaper review, the false black widow. Now, this spider is reported to have venom up to 250 times more powerful and dangerous than normal spiders. Can you tell us about the story? Yeah, so um, it happened last week and Charlie was just down. He'd gotten up that morning, we got dressed, he came down, he was just playing on his playmat. And um, all of a sudden, he just went apocalyptic. He was really screaming like nothing I'd ever heard before. Um, so I thought it was just his nappy. So I took him upstairs and stripped off the trousers. And as soon as I saw his left leg, it was really inflamed and red. And it had the three bites were 
really, really white and very prominent. Um, so I was kind of looking around to see what it was and I couldn't see anything on him. So I stripped off the top and just as I stripped that off, the noble false widow crawled out just from behind his shoulder um, up the back of his head. So gave us the fright of our life. And ha- had you any idea what what this spider was, what its name was, how dangerous it was? No, not at all. Um, it's just... It, it was quite big and because of the reaction Charlie was having to it, I just kind of instinctively grabbed it up in a nappy bag to take into the GP with me. Um, so that's kind of how it was then identified as the, the false widow. Um, so I think it was watching Steve Irwin growing up that when you get bitten by anything, you capture it and bring it in with you. Get straight to the doctor. Well, what sense of emergency did you feel? Because... You know, children get insect bites all the time, but having verified it was a spider and a black one, uh, how fast did you get to the doctor? How fast were you seen? We were into the doctor within the hour, um, and he, Charlie, was kind of seen nearly straight away. Um, so he was, I'd given him paracetamol kind of as soon as it happened just because he was so upset, and that took the edge off it um, for a couple of hours, and then... As the afternoon wore on, um, I'd say either the painkillers weren't having the same effect or the venom was kind of ramping up a little bit, but he was really inconsolable. Um, it kind of threw into the afternoon, so we ended up taking him up to A&E then to be seen um, to see if we could give him something a bit stronger. Mm-hmm. And do you think that the spider kind of picked the subject randomly or was it just sitting, was the spider on the floor when he was put down? Or do they look for weak targets, do you think? Um, no, I think I think everyone in the situation was just really unlucky. Um, I think the spider had come into the house and made her way into a pair of his trousers and he was wearing them for 45 minutes and she hadn't kind of done anything and it was um, having spoken to uh, Dr. John Dunbar up in Galway, who's a subject matter expert on the spiders. Um, mm-hmm. It was just that once they get crushed um, or kind of endangered at all they'll kind of lash out and and have a bite so i think she'd she lasted 45 minutes and then charlie probably just got a bit too much for her so yeah uh, she gave him a couple of nicks unfortunately Ooh. um so yeah we it was the only one we had in the house and i've seen a couple out in the garden since that we've captured and we're sending up to galway um to have their venom extracted but, uh, yeah, we were just really unlucky. And having spoken to John, they're now kind of the most prevalent spider that they're seeing. So it's not like it was kind of a one-off. They're everywhere now. Okay. Apparently, the noble false widow can make calculated decisions depending on how much venom is in its glands. And then it can decide if it wants to attack a larger or smaller prey. But in Charlie's case, you think he just got a bit tired of being inside the clothes or something? Yeah, I think so. I think she she just got a squash. Um, I know that that research paper that you're quoting is kind of in relation to they're fighting all of the native species of of spiders. So and they're winning because they're now the most invasive and prominent. Um, but yeah, that they do seem to be very intelligent in in what they're doing. And I think maybe it's why Charlie's fared so well is that maybe she didn't give him a full dose of venom. Yeah. Um, because kind of reading some of the other case studies, um, the the kind of outcomes and the symptoms can be quite nasty. So he was very, very lucky. Can I ask you, Sarah Jane, if, if you just advise the public, because you're very kind of blasé, said, ah, we gathered up another couple of spiders out in the garden and we got them up to Galway or whatever. But the tiniest amounts of venom here, and I'm talking about one thousandth of a raindrop, 
can cause medically significant symptoms in humans. Uh, humans that are 250,000 times bigger than the spider. Now, that is some power. How afraid should people be? Can they just go and pick them up like you did? Um, well, I wouldn't be going picking them up myself. Now, the lads at NUIG kind of had on the news last night that uh, you can capture them with a cup and a piece of paper and move them outside if, if you want to. Um, but I suppose they've looked sure we didn't know anything about them until last week and we've obviously been sharing our garden with them and they've been in Ireland for over 20 years. So I suppose Charlie is the, he's the 25th recorded case in Ireland. So it's not everyone getting bitten every day. Um, and what Galway do want is for people to go out and start Armageddon against all of the native spiders because the false noble widows then will come back stronger. Ah, um, okay. So I I suppose it, it's just really kind of, it's once they feel endangered that you wouldn't be picking them up or kind of playing with them. Um, I think 80% of the cases are of bite cases are due to the spiders getting caught up in the clothes or in the bed sheets. Um, so it's not like they're actively coming after humans. Um, I think it's just as they're kind of becoming more prevalent, they're finding their way into our lives a bit more. Yeah. Interesting perspective, actually. If if you go to war on these and, uh, you know, you pick up the wrong spider and start killing the spider population, then the false black widow might come back stronger. I worked with a guy once, I think he was from Formoy, his name escapes me, but he invented a thing called a spider catcher, if that's the correct name. It's basically a half a tennis ball with bristles coming out in a trigger at the top of, of a very long, um, you know, like a brush handle. And you can stand back and uh, the, the, you pull the trigger and the bristles go out and you put it over the spider, release the trigger and the bristles come in and gently pick up the spider. You can take it over to the fence or whatever uh, and dispose of it. So that might get another run uh, if, if the spiders keep coming like this. Any long-term effects for Charlie and how is he now? Um, he's absolutely flying it now. No, we're just, uh, he still has the bites. Um, so we're just kind of monitoring him now because you can get quite nasty bacterial infections in them if the spider's fangs weren't um, particularly clean so we're just monitoring the bites at the minute now but he's he's absolutely flying it, he's in no discomfort no pain so we were just incredibly lucky. Sarah Jane do you have a minute or two to talk about your, your former existence because it's a very interesting topic uh, I know yeah, you've got, a, you've got an appointment course, yeah. at half nine, please let me know if you need to go okay? No, no, no worries. Okay, now yourself and your husband were both working in Iraq you were teaching people how to recognise landmines that's not a very safe practice. Not to mind spiders. <laughs> no, well, we would have uh, we would have expected the spiders over in Iraq rather than in our back garden in Ireland. But that's another story. Um, yeah, we we were both uh, out in Iraq. I came home earlier this year just to have Charlie. Um, we've been out there. Max been out there five years, and I was out there four years. Uh, and we were kind of just working on a project that was, Mark manages the operational side, so the physical clearance of um, explosive hazards left behind by ISIS, so whether that be improvised explosive devices that were made or mortars and small arms. Um, and then my side of the show was uh, explosive ordnance risk education. So that was going out into communities, um, working with vulnerable populations such as children or um, IDPs and teaching them how to kind of safely live with any explosive hazards that they could identify, recognise, um, avoid and then report as necessary. 
Okay, but surely a lot of these mines are covered and invisible, yeah? Yeah, they are. So um, when the lads are out working, they'll be using detectors. Um, obviously, as you say, they're hidden, so there's a huge amount of accidents. Um, we'd see accidents on kind of displaced people that were moving into areas that they didn't know or shepherds who were walking across um, contaminated areas. So a lot of my role would have been conducting community liaison, going out and getting that information um, because there's the the war finished over there um, in 2017. So there's a huge amount of kind of local knowledge as to where it's contaminated and kind of what critical infrastructure has been affected. So we'd go out and speak to the locals and then use that information to make a plan to conduct clearance. Wow. Okay. You also did some of the same work in Cambodia, did you? Now, I know there are millions of uh, unexploded ordnance there, unexploded landmines. How's that campaign going in Cambodia? Yeah, that's super. That was with the Halo Trust, um, who are doing fantastic work across the world um, on uh, mine clearance and explosive hazard clearance. Um, so, yeah, the Cambodia has the K5 mine belt, um, which runs along its border, and it's the biggest mine belt in the world. So there's a huge amount of work over there, and the Halo Trust has done a great job in kind of employing and upskilling local people to kind of tackle that, and um, and they're, they're doing a great job out there, and kind of every week they're pulling out hundreds and hundreds of mines. Um, but it, it'll be a long one for them to, to fully clear Cambodia. I've got a friend who left the Irish Defence Forces to do this kind of work, Mick Trant. Uh, met him a couple of times uh, since, and he finds it very rewarding work. Not the safest work in the world, I would imagine. Uh, but this, it's a very insipid sort of a post-war defence, isn't it? To leave mines invisible, where, you know, where, where man, woman or child uh, could be maimed or killed. Yeah, and that's the issue with it, is that they're so indiscriminatory um, on who they're targeting. And obviously... Ukraine now is going to be the best, next big kind of project to tackle because, again, you've got both sides um, laying landmines and it's, it is, it's a big inconvenience and it'll be years and years and a lot of money to, to address it and there'll be a huge amount of people affected and injured by it and it's, they're just, they're horrible devices so it is, it's very mm. rewarding work to be working with them and trying to improve livelihoods. You going to go back there or raise Charlie here? Yeah, no, we're uh, we're booked to go back next week. Myself, or next week, next month, myself, Charlie, and the dog are, are all going to fly over. And life in Iraq now? Um, life is brilliant out there. We've we've been out there a few years, so we have a great network, and um, we're really well set up. Where we'll be raising Charlie's in Arbo, which is it's very westernised and it's very safe. Um, so it wouldn't be kind of like your Mosul or um, Kirkuk's. It wouldn't have seen kind of, they never saw ISIS, but it wouldn't have the same kind of contamination. So where we're going is relatively safe and Iraq is, it's got a long road ahead of it, but mm. it's, it's got the right people in there doing the right work. Okay, I know I'm keeping you late for your appointment, but I'm just uh, coming to the conclusion. No wonder you were so cool and casual about a deadly venomous spider when you yeah. work in landmines all the time. Oh, well, sure, we're, we're learning. I wasn't too calm at the time. But, I can um, imagine, yeah. Sarah Jane, yeah. best luck to you and Mac and to Charlie, of course, as well. And thanks for taking our call this morning. I know you're in big media demand and thanks for um, <laughs> overrunning a little. I hope you're not late for that appointment. Thanks, Sarah Jane.
No worries. Thanks. Cheers. All the best. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Now, let's go to line three and two. Tilly. Hi, Tilly. Hi. How are things? Very good. Lovely name. Oh, thank you. (laughs) You were bitten by a spider last summer, were you? I was, yeah. So I was um, was in bed and I was watching Netflix and next thing I just felt this kind of burn. I can't even explain it really. It's kind of like a wasp thing. And I obviously hopped out of bed and kind of shook myself a little bit. And the spider, which was the, the the widow, black widow, false black widow, sorry, um, he started crawling away. So I obviously panicked because I wouldn't be relatively scared of spiders. I'd always be the kind of person that would kind of grab them and t- throw them out the window. But um, it was quite painful, so I said I'd put some food cream on it, but it was actually excruciatingly painful. So I had to ring my GP. And I went to see her, and I was put on antibiotics and antihistamines um, for a week or so. And she had actually stated that there was a lot of people in with insect bites and stuff. Um, but it took a long time to heal. Mm-hmm. And I still have a scar a year later. So it was very pleasant. So Yeah, yeah I got a bite in Asia one time and it's never ever healed. It's kind of a permanent mark. I don't know, was it, it, it a, a take or a spider or whatever? But you know now there are people pushing their breakfast away from them when, when just thinking of a spider crawling up under the blankets while they're watching oh, TV in bed. Yeah, so every night now I, I have this routine. I look around to see if there's any spiders and I definitely always shake my sheets just in case another one decides to bite me. We're, but, um, crea- yeah. we're creating arachnophobia, I think. I know, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but it's better to be aware, I suppose. So. Yeah. yeah but, but it's very, very painful. To be honest, I only heard of the false black widow yesterday when I read it in the paper, but uh, they seem to, and you seem to confirm, they've been around for quite a while, yeah? They came, uh, as the paper said today, from the Canaries and Madeira. I suppose somebody brought in a batch of eggs on their luggage or something, yeah? Something, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, they reached Cork, so just to be weary of them anyway. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was horrible, but it's just the fact that you still have the scar, and it did take, it took a good couple of weeks to heal. Um, I think it got infected, obviously, because it was quite sore and red and stuff. Yeah, when it but, rains, they'll all probably make their way to Cork Airport and try and stow away back to the Canaries, maybe. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully. But anyway, in, in your case, you still have the scar. It was horrifically painful. It was very sore. I can't even explain it. Like, I've been stung by wasps and it was quite sore, but it's it's kind of like an electric shock and a burn and a sting all at the same time, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All so right. It's not very pleasant, I guess. Okay. <laughs> but hopefully you don't ever um, experience it. Okay, we're looking for spider <laughs> spotters today. If, if, you're, if you are a spider spotter and you have a little story, there might be a little gift in it for you from us. Thanks a million, oh, Tilly. thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks. Cheers. Bye-bye. Now, we had a text about 20 minutes ago, which uh, the guys have very kindly uh, answered uh, in the production team. Hi, Mick. Can you confirm if chestnuts keep spiders away from houses. And uh, the research is this. Dr. Jeff Oxford of the British Arachnological Society said the Royal Society of Chemists debunked the conquer myth in 2010. So in 2010, pupils of Rose Lyon Primary School in Cornwall won a prize from the RSC that year for their informal study showing that spiders were not phased or afraid at all uh, by conquers chestnuts. In the study... The kids play spiders in boxes with conkers or chestnuts and found the arachnids climbed over the weeds. The arachnids, that's the spiders you see, hence the name arachnophobia. And they were also placed in a water tank with the choice of a wooden or a conker bridge and many chose the conker bridge. So putting down conkers outside the house isn't going to stop the great spider invasion. And I'm not trying to scare anybody, but uh, uh, the venomous spider, the false black widow, should be looked out for 
uh, can be quite safely removed by picking it up in a piece of towel paper or something uh, and disposing of it over the fence. And people are being asked not to go to war on these, uh, or sorry, on the indigenous spiders here, uh, because if we start killing all the little harmless spiders, then the false widow spider will grow in strength and numbers, and that may pose a problem. It's 24 minutes to 10. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Text and WhatsApp 086-8104-106. Cork's Red FM. And a very good morning from the Neil Prenderville Show at 22 minutes to 10. This is Mick Mulcahy. We have a few road updates for a couple anyway. There's a car broken down near Wilton uh, heading westbound. Traffic is queuing to get around it. Uh, no danger, but please slow down on approach lest you create danger. So if you're near Wilton heading westbound and you see traffic building up. Just slow down and be patient. You'll get around it pretty quickly. And uh, just slow down on approach. McCroom Gardy have also phoned us about a collision on the N22 on the Cork side of Lasarda. Are you like me when you hear the code for, you know, the N7, the M8 or whatever? You have to say, I wonder where that is until you hear the place name. Uh, so it's the Cork McCroom Road, the N22. Uh, on the Cork side of Lasarda, uh, there are delays in a stop-go system in place, so please try to avoid the area if you can. That's a collision. That's more serious than the Wilton one. Uh, and Gardier in attendance, there's a delay and a stop-go system is now in place. So please try to avoid the area. Let's get back to our phone lines and to Fiona on line one. Hi, Fiona. Hi, how are you? No, you're living in a council house. Yeah, it's you're actually my um, boyfriend's living in the council house. It's a disgrace. They've came in uh, four years ago and put in a toilet and he's getting all mice now and everything out through the holes, up through the ground of it and everything. And so it's your boyfriend's house, sick. is it? Yeah. Okay. He's, get far- he's actually in hospital at the moment. He's actually had to get very sick. He's actually coughing up blood and everything. Uh, he was he, he was diagnosed there two weeks ago with cancer as well. Okay, we're going pretty fast here. Let's get back to the yeah. the start of the story. How long is he in the house? Six or seven years, I think, is it? Yeah. Okay. Seven years. And uh, it's a council house. When did the problem start, and what was done to remediate the problems? Uh, four years ago, they put in um, a temporary toilet and told him that they'd be back in two weeks' time to put in a proper. Okay. Well, why was this needed? Uh, I think it was all uh, that was all damaged the toilet, so he needed a new one of them. Yeah, uh, from, from what I've read, the, the toilet came up, if you like. It was kind of overflowing. Yeah, now, I've, I've, I've seen a video of the house. It, it doesn't look too uncomfortable. But when you get to the uh, the toilet section, uh, it looks as though... It, I'm not sure it's a chipboard, probably not, but it's probably plywood. So the, kind of, the tiles are cut away, and there's a square, if you like, of plywood that the toilet is rested down upon. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, the bare floor underneath has all, over the, over the years... It's not the driest of places because you're going to have showers and baths and things in there. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's kind of starting to rot away. Would that be fair? Yeah. Okay. So the council did a temporary job. Yeah. Permanently. <laughs> Still there. <laughs> Still there. Okay. Four years. Now, the mice are coming up through the floor. Up through the floor and uh, into all the cracks and everything. Yeah. Now, it's not, not very evident from the video I, I've seen, but you can see a few blue bottles. How bad are the blue bottles? Yeah, uh, he killed around nine there now the other night again. The blue bottles are just coming up as well. Okay. They're even going to his bedroom and all. And why did you feel you had to make this representation on his behalf? It's just that, uh, because like, he's actually very sick at the moment. Uh, like Even when he eats, he gets sick after even eating. He just thinks that they're... 
just ask going into his food and everything like you know it's just totally disgusting if you went to, like I was up there the other day you know and I got some I just used the toilet there and he said no um, ask my neighbour can you use the toilet he was afraid to me to use the toilet wow ask my neighbour ask my neighbour can you use her toilet he was afraid in case I pick up anything okay now, we're not making any direct connection between the state of uh, the toilet, the blue bottles and the mice yeah. uh, and his illness. Uh, that doesn't cause cancer or any of that, but it's not conducive yeah. to his health. Yeah. You say he's coughing up blood, yeah? Yeah, coughed up blood and everything. Mm. Getting sick all the time. Like, it is a disgrace the way the bathroom is. Okay. T- tell me about your boyfriend. What, what, what does he do? Is there a Michael Flatley connection or something? Yeah, he's in the, the film there, being released, uh, Friday. He's in the film. What's the film? Yeah, um, Blackbird. Okay. And is it a bit he's part? Is he, is he an extra in the film or what? Yeah, he's a big part in it. A, a bit part or a big part? A big part in it. Okay. Uh, and and can that, that's being released on Friday, okay? Is he going that's to be... Been at, released. Is he going to be at a hospital for the premiere or anything? We're hoping he do. Okay. Uh, and, and, and then he does say, we are Cork as well. Oh, that's on Facebook, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, we are Cork. Um, yeah. Tell me a little about that. It goes wrong taking photographs, putting it up. Like it was when the lockdown happened when we were in the fifth level. And he decided to do it for people that were, that were all locked in that thing. Just pictures of people, is it? No, just pictures of everything around Cork, what's going on in Cork, about Michael Collins. Just keeping people up to date. Yeah. Yeah, I see um, the weather must have been very hot over the weekend. I see Father Matthew had another cone. <laughs> so what, what, where, where do we go from here? He's going to be in hospital for a little while, is he? Yeah. And are you asking the local authorities to, to, to come and get this fixed? Like to, to come out and fix it for me, like... And no better time than while he's in hospital, I suppose. Yeah, I could leave him in my cell, like. What services do you there? need? You, you, you obviously need some sort of a pest control first. Uh, yeah. and, and, and then for the tiles to be, the timber to be removed because it's starting to rot. Yeah. And, uh, and, and tiles and ceiling, that's, uh, you know, getting the walls sealed. Yeah. Not the ceiling above you uh, to try and stop the mice coming in. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, anything else before we go? No, that's all I need to If I get your help, that's all I want is really. Well, well, Especially when he's in the hospital now and everything. Yeah, like all, all we can do to help is, is publicise it. Yeah, no problem. All right, okay. Um, okay, thanks just very one, much. Just one moment. Yeah. Um, just one more question coming in. Uh, oh, yeah, okay. Uh, just a text coming in to say, I wonder could we get a call out to different plumbers uh, that may volunteer some help here. Uh, if yeah. we do, if we don't get uh, a response from the local authorities, uh, you know who, to be fair, are busy as well. Uh, sometimes it takes a bit of publicity to give them uh, the nudge they need. Uh, but if if it was meant to be a temporary fix, it's starting to become very permanent. It now, you know, the temporary fix is is untenable, and it needs to have a proper solution. Uh, notwithstanding the fact that he's been diagnosed with cancer, he's coughing up blood, yeah. and there are mice and blue bottles in the house. Uh, but if there are any big-hearted plumbers out there who want to take on that job, it's probably a half a day or a day's work for one or two plumbers and tilers. Um, that's a long shot, but we'll see uh, what happens, okay? 
Okay, thanks very much for having me. Thanks, Fiona. Cheers. Thanks. Thank you. Bye-bye. Now, I always say I'll get back to the papers later on in the programme, and I never do because the programme gets so busy. So let me just finish up the paper review before we take uh, the next ad break, if you don't mind. Alarmingly high numbers waiting for the NCT says the Echo today. A Cork TG has called on Transport Minister Eamon Ryan to address the ongoing backlog for NCTs in light of alarmingly high numbers and waiting lists across the country. Fianna Fáil TD for Cork Northwest, Andres Moynihan has called on Mr Ryan and the Road Safety Authority to look at different avenues to address the NCT backlog. Uh, isn't a car that's overdue for NCT also uh, more likely to be putting more emissions into the year? Minister Ryan, can we get the... Uh, the backlog cleared up. The average wait time for an NCT in Cork currently stands at 24 days. And Mr Moynan said he'd been contacted by a number of constituents who were justifiably frustrated uh, with the process. I think you have to have the application to hand if you're stopped by a member of Angara Siakona because you must uh, display a valid NCT cert. But if you have applied and you're in the queue, you're OK. But you'll need proof of application. Bound and gagged with duct tape. Uh, is the Mirror's front page today. A man at 29 has been charged over an alleged attack in a city centre laneway. A man arrested after allegedly having bound and gagged a woman in a city centre laneway, a court has heard. Morris Fitzgerald was charged with false imprisonment, assault and possession of a claw hammer and duct tape. Uh, The woman found him allegedly said he didn't rape me, but it was torture. And he's pictured uh, in what looks like a jockey outfit, on the front of uh, the mirror today. Waiting lists, a dire warning, says the Mail today. It could take 15 years to clear the backlog of 900,000 unless the budget delivers 5,000 beds, say con- uh, consultants. There was a target last year, was it 3,000? Uh, in the budget, I think they're still 300 short. Uh, so if that was, and I'm, I, I'm open to correction on it, 3,000 extra beds uh, and they're 300 short, 5,000 extra beds is going to be a big, big jump. Uh, but the Irish Hospital Consultants Association has told the government that business as usual is not an option. Uh, we've been saying that to them for 30 years on the radio as the health service has continually con- uh, just deteriorated and is not fit for purpose. It comes as the Matter Hospital has appealed to the public for the eighth time this year to avoid its emergency department because of overcrowding. Overcrowding is the least of your worries if you have an emergency. You're going to go there anyway. Nurses and uh, nurses and doctors across the country are weighing up strike action. Meanwhile, Children's Health Ireland at Temple Street has confirmed that three complex soliosis uh, surgeries have been postponed for the next three weeks. Uh, on national news yesterday, a spokesperson for the... Uh, uh, which I heard for the uh, the entire operation there and the over uh, it's a, it's a very multifaceted system uh, whereby if a, if an operation procedure is begun on a child uh, then there is probably five or six more visits to surgery which needs all of the ancillary care the rehabilitation care the specialists etc it was very well explained why just three families are involved and now that's not much good to those three families uh, but I think it was very adequately explained. Um, that it isn't the end of the world when it comes to these scoliosis surgeries. Uh, it's just a minor delay, but there's probably going to be a knockback for three other families as they get to grips with these three families. You know yourself. We're all driving to distraction, says the Irish Daily Mirror today. This is interesting, actually. It's all about road rage and bad habits of other motorists. Uh, as many as 30% of drivers claim that the maddening driving behaviours of other motorists top their list of stress factors according to new research. But only 14% of motorists admitted in the latest study to having no bad driving habits. The new research found 
stress from driving affects the sexes almost equally. 30% of women, 27% of men are listing poor driving behaviour as a cause of stress uh, when driving. I was queuing to let a bus pass, uh, a bus pass me by in, uh, in a very tight spot last night. One car in front of me, about five cars behind me. And as the bus was making its way, uh, a guy just came up the outside and expected the bus to... Uh, to back back. He didn't get his way. The bus driver stood his ground. Uh, anyway, amongst the offending behaviours listed by drivers include eating behind the wheel, speeding, not indicating, and texting while driving. Aviva's research found admissions from motorists that 54% eat behind the wheel, uh, which some claimed is their worst bad habit. This was followed by driver over the speed limit, 45%, and not letting other drivers out at junctions, 25%. It's the simplest, easiest, and most courteous thing to do uh, to let someone out at a junction. When you're waiting at a junction yourself, you're cursing all of the people who won't let you out. Let them out. Now, a couple more, and we'll get to them before the end of the programme, says he again. Don't be a mug. Drink more tea to stay alive. It's calming, refreshing, and often enjoyed at the same time as your favourite newspaper. Now there's another reason to drink tea. Regular consumption could reduce the risk of an early death. A study of almost a half a million older people looked at their tea drinking habits and those who died over the next 14 years from the beginning of the study. Those who drank two or more cups of tea a day were up to 13% less likely to die over that period compared to non-tea drinkers. Tea leaves contain plant compounds, which experts believe may protect blood vessels, making death from heart problems and strokes less likely. Researchers found adding milk or sugar to tea did not change the results uh, or the lower risk of early death among tea drinkers. So if you like milk, you like sugar in your tea, that's not a problem. Just get at least a couple of uh, cups of tea into you each and every day. Now, the doctor who led the study from the National Institutes of Health in the US said this study is observational and more research is needed, but it may provide reassurance for tea drinkers that this habit can be part of a healthy diet. Habitual tea drinkers were less likely to die early, regardless of whether they added their milk or sugar or how hot they drink it. So it's good news for tea drinkers. Stockbroker, buy some Barry's T-shirts. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818-104-106. Red FM. And a very good morning from the Neil Prenderville Show. This is Mick Mulcahy. 0818-104-106. I'm still getting used to the number. Is the phone number and 0868104-106. If you want to get in touch by SMS, text or by WhatsApp. Now, someone wants to highlight... How awfully the students from McEgan College in McCroom were treated by their hotel recently on their Deb's night. Uh, so very quickly before we go to news, let's take a call from Rob. Hi, Rob. Hi, how are you getting on? Very good. Can you please not mention the name of the hotel? We've been in touch with them and they're entitled to a rebuttal before we uh, castigate them on the air, as you probably like to do. Uh, but let, let's hear what you, uh, what you say happened on the night. Um, so this is just what I'm being told. Now, I've actually contacted the hotel myself. Um, so what I was told basically is that one of the students themselves from McEgan College in McCroom organized a Debs event with the particular hotel, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And according to like uh, what they've sent me now or what I've been given is kind of a, an agreement between the hotel and uh, the student in question who organised the event. And hotel are after leaving out basically over half uh, of what was promised to the student, you know. Um, so that's kind of what I was looking to highlight. Now, the hotel themselves, they're denying this. Um, so, like, several things were, were mentioned as part of the package. There was this apparently supposed to be a red carpet on arrival for the Debs. Um, there was supposed to be a fully stocked sweet buffet for them there. Um, there was supposed to be a four-course banquet meal. You know yourself, they, 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 you know, a big Debs night now. There was supposed to be a DJ for four hours. Um, there was supposed to be a professional photographer provided to get their photos taken. Um, you know, and most of this stuff actually wasn't provided for what I'm being told. It was actually my, my own two nieces who went to us who were who telling me this. Um, so, again, what I've been told as well, even talking to a hotel there, is that they've been contacted several times and that they're going through it themselves. Um, but as far as I'm concerned, if this is true um, and these things weren't part of what the students were provided with, it's the service provider not providing the service. You know what I mean? Yeah, okay. So these are pretty big things you'd miss. If, uh, if they weren't provided properly. I mean, you can't miss a, car- a red carpet or no red carpet. Mm-hmm. Uh, you yeah. know, a, a DJ can start late or whatever, you know, if, if it was two hours, or was it two hours alleged against a four-hour promise? Yeah, that's that's exactly it. So I'm, I'm looking in black and white at the, at the kind of the... Yeah, but that might be coming up a hard stop. If there's a hard stop at, say, 2 o'clock in the morning or 2.30, then if things mm-hmm. start late, the hard stop is still there, if you know what I mean. Absolutely, but the the thing is, it didn't start late. Now the DJ was supposed to be on till for the event was supposed to go on till two thirty in the morning. Now this was even printed on the tickets, from what I was told. And when the students arrived, they were told that their particular school would be finishing up at twelve o'clock, which is two and a half hours earlier than they were expecting. Yeah, that's a big difference. Um, but I imagine the hotel didn't print the tickets, did they? That was probably printed um, by the organisers. Oh, geez. I, do you know what? I don't know. Yeah. I assumed it was it was the hotel who had printed these tickets. Okay. Uh, I know the hotel in question. I know the manager of the hotel in question. Great guy. And uh, we have been in touch uh, with the hotel and are awaiting a, uh, an official response. Um, mm-hmm. But you're saying no reason was given. The students only found out what was going on and what was allegedly shortened uh, when they arrived or during the event. That's correct, yes. Yeah. Now, you, you know the way that youngsters can get a little inebriated and a little boisterous, and, and I've seen that myself firsthand at Debs, uh, you know, picking up students uh, to, to give them a lift home or whatever. Uh, so you're, you're saying this was not due to bad behaviour? Not due to bad behaviour. As I said, this, uh, they only found this as they arrived on the night. Like, there was no, like, couldn't possibly have bad behaviour at the start of the, uh, of the event, you know. Um, they, so they are, are you saying that the, the hotel chose to tell them these conditions or these restrictions or these uh, terms uh, as they arrived? This is what I've been told, yes. Now, yeah, okay. the thing is, I'm sure, like, the, the poor girl as well who organised it, I'm sure you've read the email. So this was yeah. actually organised by a student herself. So this would have been... Uh, You're going to have 17 year or 18-year-olds stepping up to the plate yeah. here and organising it with hotel exactly. management, of course. Uh, all right, exactly. listen... Th- thank you for sanitizing uh, the the interview because the hotel need a chance to uh, to get their response together and I'm sure they will uh, and we will come back to it when so, all right? 
That'd be brilliant. Thank you very much. Thanks a million, Rob. Thank you very, very much. All the best. All right, then. Bye. Two minutes to 10 o'clock, and uh, we're going to go to news at 10 next on The Neil Prandival Show. I'm Rory. And I'm Valerie, and you can join us for the very best in local, national, and international sport every weekend on The Big Red Bench. That's The Big Red Bench, every Saturday and Sunday from 6 on Cork's Red FM. Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Now some texts that have come into 086-8104-106. Uh, the big crash stroke cost of living. This text or two texts say uh, towards the end of October this year, there will be a massive stock market crash. Bigger than in uh, 1929. It will wipe out a few companies, so says Pat. Uh, I saw petrol this morning at 178.9 at the garage between Killa and Yall. Diesel was 196.9, unfortunately. It's amazing how the narrative has changed on diesel. 10, 15 years ago, they were saying, go diesel. Uh, it's better for the economy. It's better for emissions. It's uh, all around cheaper to run the car. And now there's an all-out war on diesel. And I can only think how the big transport companies Companies are being affected by these huge increases because they have to buy the expensive diesel and they're spending hundreds of thousands of euro per month in, uh, in getting their transport fleets around the country. And this has to have a complete knock-on effect to the supply chain and to the viability of getting food, uh, drinks and other necessities to their uh, origin to their point of destination at any reasonable price. When is this going to stop? How can there be an almost 20 cent it's 18 cent difference uh, in favour of petrol uh, to what it is with diesel. Uh, so wherever it is, and we read the commission report in the newspaper report this morning, uh, that uh, this commission uh, on taxation and welfare are recommending to the finance minister, Pascal Donoghue, that extra levies on diesel uh, be imposed upon the Irish people. I, I don't know why, just don't. Uh, on the toilet and the uh, Fiona, not on the toilet, but on the toilet issue, and on the Fiona Council House. Hey Mick, just explain to the lady, uh, you've been asking for people to come and fix the problem, that it has to be the council who fix the issue, because if you get someone else in, the council won't help in the future with anything in the bathroom. That's possibly for insurance reasons. Hey Mick, why don't they just fix the toilet in the name of God? What are they like on the radio to you? What are they looking for? Says Marie from Clan. Um, Hi Mick, I'm switching to uh, another station as I'm sick to bits of listening to people ringing up, complaining and looking for free aid. What do the rest of us do but sort out our own problems? I think genuine people don't go contacting radio stations looking for help. But you'll always get freeloaders and suckers who believe it. Goodbye. I don't think you'll hear much uh, different on any other service radio station, but uh, we'll be looking forward to it. If you come back, let us know, will you? Uh, on the Greens... Ryan is just, that's Eamon Ryan. Eamon Ryan is just out of his depth, uh, as are his coalition partners, in the most biz, uh, basic living rights that people deserve. And while this war continues, the green agenda should be stalled and some help should be given to people who are now in serious financial stress. Nearly €40 Euro for a bag of coal, plus other expenses, is just impossible, says Anthony. Now, we've spoken to the hotel in question uh, we don't want to make a mountain out of a molehill, and that's not to uh, belittle the problems that are allegedly uh, after happening at that Debs, okay? But we don't want to put too much pressure on any young people who organised it, and I don't want to overly uh, criticise any hotel who's providing this service. The hotels have been through very difficult times during the pandemic, and, uh, uh, you know, while the Debs market may not be the most savoury uh, of 
of events for them. Uh, some of them handle them with professionalism, with security, and uh, you know, do a good job. And what is a? It's a kind of a. It's a kind of a rough end. Uh, business-wise of uh, of a market when people are just of age or maybe some have to be ID'd, you know, they're just under 18 or whatever, uh, it can lead to difficulties. So I have kind of concerns on both sides not to over-amplify this uh, particular situation. But we've spoken to the hotel in question who say they've been very clear about what they provided. Uh, they say it was just a mix-up. Uh, what I'm reading between the lines here is that more was possibly put on the ticket than was uh, actually agreed. I could be wrong. And that they would always advise schools to have organising committees to take the pressure off the kids trying to organise what are sometimes very large and very difficult events to manage. There's so much to do. There's, you know, there's the meal, there's the arrival times, there's the buses. You probably have a bedroom promo or whatever to give uh, uh, people who want to stay the night. Uh, you know, there's so much to do. I've organised enough events to know that there's a lot uh, involved in doing that uh, kind of thing. But anyway, uh, they said they always advise schools to have organising committees. This is to spread the load of effort and responsibility uh, because these are difficult events to manage. Uh, they said they tried looking after them as best they could, but unfortunately now going forward, they won't be taking small bookings anymore. So on the hotel side, they're going to deal with organising committees only, I would say. Uh, and on the booking side, uh, it is really, really important. And it probably takes a level uh, of multiplicity in responsibility. You're probably going to have to have six or eight or ten people around the table saying, this is what we have and this is what we can, this is all we can publicize on our ticket. I'm only clutching at straws here, but just trying to be kind uh, to everybody. Obviously, uh, those who attended uh, the Deb seem to have had a problem. The hotel is happy to uh, to deal individually and explain what happened, uh, but I don't want to over-amplify it here on the airwaves anymore. So I hope that's that, and I hope we haven't caused upset to anybody. Uh, and best of luck to all of the Debs and all of the grads that are going on. I know it's that season. Uh, I've had my own uh, extended family, uh, nephews, etc., looking for uh, the, those dapper suits and, uh, you know, getting all of the transport organized and all that kind of thing. And mom and dad kind of worried that, you know, little Johnny or little Mary's grown up and going out of the world and uh, this is a big night. And because they're on the fringes uh, of being, uh, you know, legally entitled to imbibe alcohol, that causes worry in parents as well. So it's a very, very uh, stressful, if proud and happy time uh, for parents. Uh, so best wishes to all the hotels in managing the energetic and to all of the lovely Debs and the dapper grads that are going to uh, attend. And make sure, guys, you've got to bring the flowers, you've got to bring the chocolates to Mammy, uh, and you've got to shake Dad's hand. Of course, he's going to give you that look straight in the eye. Uh, make sure she gets home okay. Uh, it's a necessary part of... of uh, Growing up in Ireland, I suppose, and it's we're in that season. And the best of luck to everybody. Now then, let's go to line one and to Paddy Bullman. Now, Paddy, what are you looking to do? Uh, hello, Mick. Uh, yeah, sorry about that. There. Give me just a sec. Uh, right, right. There's um, a lot of the debate there that you've done recently on the on, on 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 the radio. There was, you know, with a lot of this um, dissatisfaction, we could call it. That's a uh, is fairly prevalent there now with, uh, with our government, you know. Mm-hmm. All the issues, there's there's a multitude of issues there going on. And, uh, like, uh, just explain myself first. I, I, I've always been kind of active politically, you could say, in my community. I'm gone a little bit past mid, 
mid-60s and I retired recently, you know, and I thought I'm going to relax and enjoy myself now at this age that I'm at. But unfortunately, I can't do that because of the state this country is in. So your interest in politics is is, is now now allowing yourself to be infuriated about what's going on, is it? Reignited again, and I have to stop again. I thought I was going to stop and relax, you know. Okay, in in the interest of of honest disclosure, which way do you lean politically? Which way do I lean politically? Or or previously? You know, I mean, yeah, your political ideologies can change over time, you know, but uh, where I am now, I suppose, I'm, uh, yeah... Okay, I basically social democrat. You know, I do believe in that. I do believe in in, in social democracy. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, we're not living in a social democracy, um, which you know I would like very much to see. Now, at the same time, I don't know. Would you say it would? <laughs> would this sound right? But social democracy. But I'm also Republican. You know what I mean? I I, I believe in Ireland as, as as a nation. You know mm. that we should we should run our own affairs, and it should be done by the people. It's the people that should. <laughs> the people that should decide in that country. It's not that, that is not happening either, you know. Yeah. We are ruled over by, a, by an elitist oligarch in the form of our government, you know. So I'm getting back into this again. Now, I have a lot of contact with people and things like this and what's going on and the satisfaction that people have with everything around them. And one of the most common questions I get all the time is, you know, well, sorry, I'll go back there again. One of the most common things that comes out of this is that there is, there is no support for this government amongst the people. People want rid of this government. But one of the most common questions I get when I do debate with people is that, yes, we want to get rid of the government. And the next question is, but how do we do it? Or who do we replace them with? And exactly, that was the next one. Who do we replace them with, you know? If, even if we even if we can manage to get rid of them, <laughs> because they have got to go. There's no doubt about it. And the, the desire and the will is there amongst people to, to 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 make changes and to get this lot out. And as I said, the most common question then is, how do we do it? Who do we replace it with? What now, would be your suggestion? It's, it's not how, how do you how do you do that in in a peaceful democratic yeah. republic? In in a yes. It's not something that I can explain to you in two minutes flat on a radio on how we're going to do this. It's, it's a complex issue. Hmm? But there is a way of doing it. There is alternatives to the party political system that exists today. And it is the people themselves that can achieve this. Now, it will not be done overnight. It takes time. The first step is that people have to organize to do it. Um, what I want to say is that... It, it, I'm, I'm from Yall. I live in Yall, mm-hmm. this Cork area. And uh, for quite a while now, we've been active here in our politics, as I say. And there's a little group there that has started off a few years ago with this aim in mind. That is the replacement of a government that has no mandate, as far as I'm concerned, amongst the people. It has no following. Nobody wants it there. We need to do something about it. We've been working towards that. Um, there is a system, you know, where people rule by convention. <clears throat> we don't do that. I mean, for example, our local governments, our local governments here, our town halls that we have in each town and that. We have no say at all in anything they do. We've no access to it. You know? But you vote it's, in your own uh, councillors. You vote in your own local authority. Yes, but you don't say. The people in the country have no 
power of decision over any policy put through by local government or national government. But isn't that I what mean, grassroots politics is for? Yes, but we don't have grassroots politics. It's not there. We don't have local representation. I mean, you can twist it any way you like. You go to your town hall. Yes, you have councillors there. You know, but it's councillors don't make the decisions. It's an appointed uh, manager, appointed by government, mm-hmm. that makes these decisions. People with power that have no known, they're even unelected. They're not even elected, and these are doing that. Which is why we did set up this, and we worked with this. The aim of the group that we have... What's the group called, Paddy? What's it called? It's, it's called Government Out Next Election, gone for short. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, and the idea was we, we have been meeting all along, uh, yeah, and the meetings are... The subject of the meeting always is how we're going to work towards removal of this government and replacement, replacement with, with our local democracies where people actually partake and have a say and have a decision across across every every policy that's that, that's uh-huh. that's debated in this country that they can actually vote on policy at grassroots level. Now. Uh, of course, it, 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 the idea behind the group was to set up this system where we can eventually, by, by, by lawful means, as you say, through, through, through the poll booth, through, the, through, the, through elections, make these changes. The idea, what we, what we are working on to set up is that we want a local, uh, open to the public, democratic forum in every town and village in this country to replace what we what our so-called uh, local government. Because the, uh, if you look at the Constitution, the, the role of local government is the representation of the local community. I mean, that's a joke, that, because that does not exist, and it has not been provided, and never has, by the way. Mm. So we're going to do it. We're walking into we're very interesting territory here, Paddy, because there are many who would say that no matter who you elect and who any Taoiseach... Uh, would honour with a ministerial position, a junior ministerial position, a minister of state position, it's still the senior civil servants that run the country. Yes, and that's the part we have to change. Yeah? Mm-hmm. The people that do actually make the... the, the, the that, that run the country should be the people of the, people of the country. Not, I do not elect... In my mind, the, the way I look at it, I'm not electing a representative... Because that's what we do. We elect representatives to represent us. We're going to need yeah. 11 more of them, by the way, after the recent census. Yeah. But uh, we, we, don't, we don't elect representatives to make decisions for us. We make them to make decisions that we, the decisions that we want to make. But just to represent us. What we have actually is like, you know, we're representing, but they're telling us what to do. So that has to change. And the only way that can change is we do have, at grassroots level, local democratic forum where the people themselves can go there. I'm talking in person now, not on keyboards or technology, and they discuss and debate politics, both national and local, and they decide on those. Mm. And they give that answer, the decision that they made, the people made, 
to their representative to bring it all the way back up to Dáil Éireann. Okay. Now, you're, you're obviously so very emotive on this subject, Paddy, and I just, just want to yes. explore something. You know, the tenets of a republic and a democratic republic are many, um, but one of the, you know, some of the most important ones are the right to free speech, the right to free assembly, the right to have representation. But frustration often causes these things to be stretched. Frustration often calls for rallies that turn from peaceful assembly into riotous assembly. Are, are you committing to only peaceful, democratic uh, means to fulfil your aims? Yes. Yes. But uh, not in the traditional sense. I mean, you look what's happening in the country. Uh, <laughs> I mean, how many, how many demonstrations do we have per week at the stage? Um, so I'm not saying... I'm not trying to... Uh, how would you say it? To, to start demonstrations or anything like that you know on a regular basis what we need to do is we need people more people ordinary people more active in their politics and at local level you see now we have so many demonstrations these days that it's uh, uh, it's it, you know, it's not helping anymore we have uh, so many demonstrations every week that people are tired now of demonstration. But demonstration has its use in a, sen- in a sense. You know, it gets the, the word out there that, you know, you can see, feel the pulse of the people through demonstration, what they want, what they don't want. But it does not actually achieve anything. Paddy, is, you know, your, frustration, is your frustration so, born from the achievements or lack of achievements of this present government or is it something that's been simmering maybe in the background of your conscience over the last 20, 30 years with the lack of okay. progress in many areas by successive governments? Yeah, let me interrupt. Yes, it's, it's, it's my frustration, as you call it. Yes, it's frustration. I do feel frustrated at what's happening. As you said, you said there, you asked the question, is this, there are achievements or lack of achievements of this government and successive governments. I mean, Ireland has only been a country for a little over 100 years at this stage. Uh. And successive governments... L- let me put a question uh, to you, Paddy. can't say they achieved anything. What have they achieved? Okay, let, let, let me put a question to you that, that, that I put in a recent interview to Michael McGrath, the Minister for Public Expenditure. Let me put the same question to you. By what, if any, metric do you consider this current coalition successful? It is not, absolutely not. It's not unsuccessful, it's a disaster. Look what's going on around in the country. Look what's going on around us. You know? I mean, it's disastrous. And it's everything that has been done in this country that is wrong has been done, has been caused by the government, not by the people. All the unrest that's there now, the frictions that we have, as you said, that you discussed there last week, you know, with people like having our own homeless contra uh, guests into the country that have been housed, things like this. All this has been caused by policies forced on us without our consent, without our participation by a government, an elitist government, by the way, a small group that has control of absolutely every institution in the country. That has to change. It has to change and it has to come back. The power of decision and of making policy has to come back down into the hands of the people. It's not an easy task, but it has to be done. We have to start somewhere. And uh, I mean, I think, you you know, you speak to anybody in this country, uh, any, yeah, literally anybody in this country and ask them what they think, how well this government has performed. I mean, it's a disaster what they've done. And they're still doing it. 
with the policies that they've done. They've created, they've driven people into penury. Yet they boast for themselves, their own positions and power. And, you know, so we have this elitist. We, we now have this elitist. In effect, in Ireland, we're ruled over by an elitist minority that have used all the resources, the natural resources of our country, which is quite, quite, well, quite a resourceful and rich country, uh, to better themselves in their own service. While, while, while the, the population of the country are in penury, can't, can't even afford the, the basic needs in a, yep. in a rich country that we live in, that has to change and it has to change rapidly because I think people have, have had enough at this stage. But it, this has to be done by people getting active in their own areas, in their own communities. Not by gathering in large masses at demonstrations in Dublin and waving banners, I mean, that has no effect. That does not change. To be fair, you're, you're, on, you're on to something. You, you might be onto something. Oh, because so when, when, when the this. politicians come around every five years, okay, it's all about the, what, what they call uh, the hustings. I always hated that word. Uh, I think on the, in America they call it on the stump. Uh, but the yeah. hustings. Uh, oh, I'm getting a great response on the hustings. That's the only time you'll ever see them actively engaging locally. Our politicians no, that's, that's are, probably an unfair uh, statement. Okay, of course, no, no, they no, get involved in local issues. But voluntarily going to meet the people is what I'm saying. Our politicians are as far removed from the people now as is possible. They, you know, they're, they're not in touch. But is, isn't the very tenet of being a politician uh, that you inherit the desire to cling to power with messianic devotion? Look at Boris Johnson. Look at Donald Trump. Yep. I agree totally with all of that. And this is the part that has to be changed, and that is not easy. It again comes down to us, uh, you know, um, for example, we have a constitution, a fairly robust constitution in Ireland that clearly states, I think it's the first paragraph even, that all power of government rests with the people. Can you say that's true of Ireland today? No, I, I, I honestly could not. Yeah, well, it's about time we started using... Our all, all power devolves to the people on, you know, twice a decade, shall we say, or unless a government falls. Do, do you think this no. government, because, and you know, I've always kind of surmised that the raison debt of uh, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, which are very much aligned uh, in colour and policy now, uh, is, is to keep Sinn Féin out of power. Um, but there's going to be a rocky road ahead. You have some uh, rumblings in the backbenches of Fianna Fáil that... Uh, unless Michal Martin steps down as leader, they won't give the necessary support uh, to make Leo Varadkar Taoiseach. Now, that calls for another general election. And they know yep. <laughs> if they do that, it's probably going to be a Sinn Féin government. To many people, yep. a Sinn Féin government would be like a dose of salts. But many people are coming to the conclusion is maybe the country needs this dose of salts. Uh, well, I'm not exactly of that either. I'd make, uh, I don't see any difference if uh, Sinn Féin comes to power. It's still a political party. They'll go into co uh, coalition with whatever group they need to go in, uh, into, coalition, into um, coalition with to remain in power. But if, if you look back at the results of the last, the last general election, Paddy, Paddy clearly, clearly stated the people voted for change. Yet through the machinations of the Doyle and the way that the, you know, the voting system is set up, if you can cobble together enough support uh, for even a, a shaky or, or unlikely coalition, uh, then you can do it legally and, 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 and the people are therefore verifiably said to have spoken. Yes. It, 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 take that example, the last election. Um, 
yes. Uh, I think that proves that, that proves that people are looking for an alternative, except the alternative is not there. What we have to choose, we're given a list to choose from. And they're all equal. They're all political parties. They're all, um, they're all groups in their own service. They're there, to, they're there to keep themselves there, to keep themselves in power. There's no, we at the moment don't really have an alternative. You can choose from one party or another party. That's what you have. Because even the electoral system is that is geared towards favoring the, the established parties already. So putting Sinn Féin, in my mind, this is my personal view now, uh, in power, is, is no different. We're just changing the names. It's the same system. It's the system itself that is not working. It does not represent the people. How can one particular party represent the whole nation? Mm-hmm. They can't. I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty apolitical, okay? I, I don't support any, any political entity. Uh, but I have interviewed in this position uh, some of the most potent minds in the country and very, very able. Now, like them or not, I, I would put Simon Coveney in that, in that ilk. Uh, I've often interviewed Michal Martin. He's become a world-class political operative. Uh, I was very impressed with, with the control and the knowledge of his portfolio of Sinn Féin's Owen O'Brien. Uh, so, you know, I'm, you know, there are good, able people on all sides. But I just wonder, is, is the politics of Ireland that we know today, as you, as you mentioned, is it serving the people? There has been an organization invented, uh, Paddy. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of a DAO. Did you ever hear of a DAO? D-A-O. No. It's a decentralized no. autonomous organization. Everyone has yes, a vote. Yes, yes. It's, it's, it's normally set up electric, electronically, okay? But a proposal yes. comes out and everybody votes. And that's yes. how decisions are made on the direction of the DAO or the country or whatever. Uh, everyone has, yes. has an equal participation. Uh, and I'm not sure if that's the way we'll go. We're looking towards maybe a cashless society. And it may be all, uh, you know, that we'll vote digitally at the end, end of the day and all that kind of thing. But listen, i I, I got to move on, Paddy. Do you want to say anything yeah. finally? Yeah, as I said, this group, the government out next election, is active. Uh, and, uh, only in East, East Cork at the moment, but it is there. And it is becoming more active. We're going to, we have been holding meetings and trying to, you know, figure out what we're going to do to make these changes. Uh, you know, not very visible and enough because uh, guess what? We don't have any venues to meet at. We we are not allowed to use our town halls, for example, to hold public meetings. Why not? Yeah, yeah, we're paying for them, but we're going to hold our meetings now in future. And we're going to hold them in public, public, open, democratic forum where people can come and discuss what they're going to do if they wish to change this country and to change the politics, so that the politics are working for the people. And I mean in every town and village where people can attend in person, not sitting behind the keyboard, but where they come and participate in the running of their, their communities. We're going to start that up. We're going to set it up, uh, and they're going to be fairly visible now as time goes on. What we want is we want these in every town and village in the country. The group is called Government Out Next Election, and I'd like, you know, while I'm on the radio, if you don't mind me making a plug for it, ask people to keep an eye out for it. All right, it's government out next election. Government out next election. It All does right, actually Paddy. have a page on Facebook. You'll find it there as well with a lot of information on how this is going to be achieved. Okay, peaceful, democratic voices who want to make a change for the good uh, can look up government out next election 
Uh, you know, governments are out every election, I suppose. There's always a different yes, amalgamation yeah, of things. Yeah, we, uh, we, yeah. we, 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 we put another one in. But you're a peaceful, not a radical movement, and you want to get things done uh, by common sense and by bringing it back to grassroots and local uh, and, and solving your local issues that way. Uh, on the subject of politicians, Paddy, uh, before we go, I'm reminded of that great song. It came from a writer in the Aran Islands, Christy Moore's Lingo Politico. They've got the gall and the ball and the gravy and the train. And they're trying to sell us water and it's pissing down with rain. Thanks, Paddy. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818-104-106. Red FM. And a very good morning from the Neil Prenderville Show. 23 minutes to 11 o'clock now. And the text lights have uh, lit, have lit up uh, with response to uh, Paddy Bullman. Some for, some against. Uh, to your caller from y'all, he is spot on. What this government needs is proper systems in place, costs and losses uh, analysed in every sector. Why doesn't Paddy from y'all run for power? There's nothing stopping him. Or is he afraid that no one will vote for him? Basically, he's talking shite, says Pat. That neghead Pat is probably... That's negative, I suppose. That neghead Pat is probably telling everyone uh, for the last 10 years there's going to be a crash, hoping he is right, so that he can say, I told you so. What a neghead, says Mal. I'm not sure if you're referring to Paddy or a different caller there. Uh, hi, Mick, you mentioned a while ago that the average wait for the NCT in Cork is 24 days. Uh, it's not. The average wait is five months. Five months? at uh, the moment, uh, and so says Ken. And uh, no government equals lawlessness equals anarchy. Yes, that's a great idea, Paddy, uh, says Pat. Uh, well, as he said, he couldn't get into the whole thing in a few minutes on the radio, but I hope we explored and covered enough ground uh, with him. Now, on line two, we've got Frank O'Connor. Good morning, Frank. Good uh, morning. Now, we're talking about dereliction in Cork, and dereliction not of duty but of property. 10,000 derelict sites in Cork is a staggering number. Can you stand over that? Um, hi, hi, Mick. Um, this is uh, Frank here. Yeah, sorry, sorry, the sorry, the sound there is gone. Actually, okay. Well, we try to call you. I'll go to a couple of texts and uh, we'll try to call you back. All right. Great, great. Okay. Great. If you have a radio on, you need to switch it off. By the way, but we'll come back to you. Uh, there's apparently ten thousand derelict sites in Cork as the housing crisis worsens, uh, and county managers have been called upon throughout the country to deal with the issue of abandonment. Now, in every town and village around County Cork and in the city, there are hundreds of derelict buildings and vacant sites. We see them everywhere, and we've all seen them, and we know where they're located. And according to some of the estimates, especially in the CSO, uh, there are up to 10,000 such sites in Cork between the city and county. Now, such is the extent of this dereliction. Uh, and abandonment throughout Ireland that this week President Michael D. Higgins departed from his script as he opened a centre for homelessness youth in County Kildare, a former residential home which had fallen into dereliction before being renovated and restored. He decried the number of derelict and abandoned buildings which could be restored. President Higgins' remarks on dereliction were part of a more general attack on the level of homelessness and the housing crisis which he, the president, described as a disaster. Now, let's go back to Frank. Is Frank any better? Is that any better, Frank? Yeah, that's great, Mick. Yeah, great. Oh, okay, yeah. perfect. Now, uh, 10,000 derelict sites between Cork City and County. Can you stand over that? Yeah, well, obviously, that's not my figure. Someone else has produced that. But, mm. yeah, there is a lot of dereliction in Cork uh, City and the County. Obviously, when myself and my partner, Jude, started looking at dereliction in Cork a number of years ago, uh, the official figures were something like 95 for the city alone. And what we found from our study, we found over 700 within two kilometres of the city centre radius. So so the numbers are very, very high. And you'll see that yourself, Mick, uh, if you travel to any town, village, or uh, obviously Cork City as well. You'll see the direction everywhere you go. And it's really is um, 
the failure of the state. You know, it's costing everyone and it's definitely affecting families in terms of getting homes, but also places for, for, for families to, their kids to play and also for bringing people back into urban environments. So it's a big issue, something that we need to address. Yeah, now Frank, I, I imagine many of these properties, uh, if they're derelict for a long time, they could be the subject of title dispute. They might be uh, in probate. There could be some conflict of, of int- you know, some conflict, legal conflicts, if you like, uh, trying to establish ownership. And I'm sure there would be many that would be happily disposed of if legal title could be established. Uh, and uh, would I be correct there in that many of them are, are legally tied up? Yeah, it would be, would, be, would be a small percentage, really, you know. So, yeah, of course, if you take the official figures for the country, you've got like um, 166,000 homes across the country, and likewise in Cork, 10,000 derelict sites. You'll find a certain percentage, yes, but it's only going to be a small percentage. So, really, if you took that away 20%, you're still left with 80% of properties that are not being used. And I think the issue at times is, yes, at the moment we have a dereliction um, uh, regulations, which, but they're not being enforced. So obviously, if you have a law in place, it's not being enforced. It sets a very bad precedent. And um, if you take away those genuine cases and like the right, uh, there will be genuine cases. The other ones, we have to do something about it. I mean, it's like keeping food back from people in a famine. It's like keeping homes back from people in the middle of a housing crisis. You know, and obviously, like President Higgins called it a housing disaster. So yeah, there is always going to be genuine cases. But the data shows that a lot of houses are actually just vacant or derelict. And, sh- and, and it's a waste. I mean, obviously, for our economies are to thrive. And if we are to get families back into our urban environments, we need to turn this around. And likewise, it affects everything from people's mental health, well-being. It affects uh, tourism. You know, and just, it's an eyesore. I mean, you, you don't really want to be walking through your towns and cities and see the, seeing the direction. And other countries have tackled it. And they have, obviously, families too who go through bereavements and losses and genuine circumstances as well. But they've, they've tackled it. And I think we have to look at a much more strategic approach to this because everyone is losing out. And that's the key thing. Everyone is losing out. So if we can really tackle their election in Cork and right across the country, it could really turn things around, you know. And if, imagine if everyone actually did have a home. So, yeah, I mean, it's basically there are genuine cases. But, like, I was based previously in Amsterdam. And in the Netherlands, they tackled their election back in the 70s and 80s. Um, people went out in the street and, and protested over and over again. And they protested till the change came about. And the government acted then, obviously, they bought a new piece of, of legislation and they became more proactive. And now you don't see their election when you walk around the streets. And, you see, and, and everyone, as well in Amsterdam, you've got over 50% social housing. So you've got a lot of people who actually have affordable spaces so they can walk close to where they live, you know. So it just makes sense to tackle it. And at the moment, take aside the genuine cases, there are enough properties in Cork to house everyone and to transform our towns back. So it's a, it's a lot of issues going on here, including heritage as well. Yeah, do you think it's being prioritised enough by government or is it too complicated? Um, I don't... It's not too complicated because, like I said, I mean, we're, we're intelligent people in Ireland. I mean, you know, of course we can tackle this. You know, if other countries can do it, why can't we? So it's not too complicated. And... Uh, Yes, governments have, haven't given it the priority they should for a number of years. No, that's beginning to change over the last few years since Jude and I started the campaign. Definitely the awareness level has gone up. There's more and more people talking about it. They're, they're sharing stories on, on social media through, through, through the print press as well. So things are changing, but yeah, the government needs to prioritise it. And I think a lot of their measures have been very much stop-start. 
So I would argue they need a far more strategic approach and they need to introduce a toolbox of measures. So you're not talking about taking property away from people, but you could look at measures such as compulsory rental. So to ensure that people are in homes at the moment and we're coming into the winter now in the next few months and you don't want anyone on the street. So there are measures like compulsory rental, which would be ideal for vacant properties and compulsory sales for your long-term derelict properties. I know a lot of people, you know, maybe haven't got the money to turn the property around. It's maybe a second or third home. Perhaps they could look at maybe if they, you know, selling it, you know, getting a fair price for it. I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, our environment, our economy, our heritage, and basically our communities are suffering as a result. Mm. You know, if the assumed owners of a derelict site were under the fear of prosecution or of financial penalty for not establishing title, disposing of or developing the site, then maybe more would be squeezed out of the system and into the public realm. Uh, Absolutely, yeah. But it's a mixture of carrot and stick, uh, make really, you know, I mean... What we're finding is that a lot of the derelict properties, I mean, one thing is they're not, they're not going up for sale anyway. Uh, people aren't putting them up for sale. But when they do go up for sale, a lot of younger people can, can buy them because uh, the banks or, or the billing societies or whatever aren't giving out um, mortgages because they're older properties. So, so there are other things that can happen as well. So maybe the government needs to step in there and ensure that the mortgages can be provided for younger people to buy the derelict properties who would have the energy to, to work in them and to turn them back around. But likewise, you know, there needs to be more to look at actually supporting people who are going through the process at the moment. As you're very aware, the cost of materials will go up. You know, it's a global resource crisis. So maybe there's other measures the government can help in terms of grant supports. I know they introduced a new measure recently, but it's quite targeted and it's still quite clear, unclear who it's going to help. You know, it's going to yeah. help the um, people buying or not. Well, we're going to be over the next few weeks, and I'm sure Neil will be picking up on this because it's really, really going to take hold the lack of student accommodation is going to be front and centre. There are some very good initiatives taking place in Limerick and Galway uh, where they've found that elderly people living alone uh, never really knew, maybe because they don't have access as much as we do to social media, um, but that they can rent a room or two or even three uh, in their homes, giving them company, giving them security at night if they, you know, obviously they're going to vet and choose the right student uh, and, and and giving them up to €14,000 a year tax-free, which, to be fair, if you're retired, uh, and uh, I, I assume even, you're, even if you're on a pension you won't be affected, uh, is a very nice financial addition to what's coming in. Uh, up to fourteen grand now can be used for, uh, and especially if you target housing students, it could be a win-win, not just for some lonely, on-their-own older people, but also for students who can't find a bed. Absolutely, yeah, that's it, and that's it. We have to be more creative, and I suppose a lot of times we have to look to, you know, how other countries are tackling it, and that's, that sounds like a really interesting initiative, and uh, has, like you said, other knock-on benefits as well. But, I mean, ultimately, in the day, no one wants to live in the towns and cities when there's so much dereliction, decay, and vacancy. It makes the place unsafe, you know, it's it's not a place where families want, want to come and stuff. And if you look at where global trends are going, Mick, I mean, it's basically... We're going to be in a situation over time where we're going to have to move more back into our towns and cities. So we have to make them livable and, and make them work for all ages from 8 to 80. So, so I think you're right, those kind of measures. So it is providing financial support. It definitely has been a mixture of carrot and stick. But I suppose we have to move away from this mentality that, that we can't do anything about. Of course we can do things. You know, change is possible. And I think it's very important that people speak up and, 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 and demand that change, you know, and ask you know, their councillors, their local TDs, the local authorities, whoever, 
to help them in, in getting that change mm. across, you know. Because we want, look, I moved back to Cork City four years ago with my partner, Jews, and it's a, it's, a, it's a beautiful city. I mean, we've got some wonderful people. But, like, I have been shocked, to be honest, to see the levels. Of so the shocked that you're taking pictures of derelict sites around Cork and you're highlighting how many of them yeah. there actually are around Cork. In the middle of a housing crisis, it has to be said. Yeah, well, that's it, Nick. I mean, to be honest, my partner, Jude, and I, this is the first time we've done this type of campaign stuff. You know, we, we, we just felt we had to do something about it. Like, we felt the responsibility act. For us, it's a broken social contract. No one should be on the streets. And, look, if we didn't have the housing stock, but we do, we have it. It's all around us. And, uh, it's, I mean, basically started to impact us straight away and move back. You love but there are vacant, half-finished estates, or almost finished estates, you know, probably going back 14 years since the the crash in 2008, uh, and are the developers holding on to the land there because it's uh, becoming increasingly well, valuable or, or are these going to be viable estates that will be finished? Well, I mean, you know, I've taken a lot of pictures and it's been shared, it's been talked about a lot from the pictures I've taken in Rochestown, which, I'm, you know, I mean, I don't know Rochestown too well myself, but I know it's a very desirable place to live in terms of it's got a lot of amenities, it's close to the city, it's close to the countryside. But I mean, I've come across a number of estates in Rochestown alone where there's some stunning properties I mean, one estate's got 12. They're, they're finished properties. And now, of course, they're being vandalised and stuff because they've been, like you say, lying empty for 12, 14 years, maybe longer. So we have to look be much quicker to see if we can get these properties and put them into use, you know. I mean, it doesn't have to be that you take the properties off the owner, but what we need to do is get the properties back into use. And like you say, a new estate, I mean, there's 12 gorgeous houses in one estate and another one, then there's four. I think originally the plans were for six, but they only built four. But yeah, there's no way these should be lying idle. You know, it's you know we have people dying in the streets. We have people struggling in you know in direct provision in in, host, in hostels and hotels. We have families taking their kids to school, walking past this vacancy in their election. But ultimately, it's an economic issue. You know, I mean, Frank, I'm just just looking at a video that Kevin, our producer, put up uh, of those twelve houses. It's absolutely disgraceful. Absolutely fine, strong houses. You can see they're obviously vandalised. There's no roadways. There's concrete blocks lying all over the place. Uh, this is like I a- was shocked when I saw that. It was someone, one of the neighbours in that area had messaged me, direct messaged me and said, if, if, I, if, I, if it's okay, I'd like if I come over and highlight the issue for them because it's frustrating for the people who live nearby. Obviously, you can imagine yourself, if you're living you know, just away from that, you know, it's not nice to live alongside their election. You know, where my, my partner lived, there's their yeah. election near us. It's not nice. It, 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 you, you go back in terms of what you were talking about earlier in terms of elderly people. It's not nice for an older person or a younger person, any of us to walk down the street and to see this every day. And you're right, that's, it's scandalous, really. I, I mean, it upsets me to think that those 12 properties in, in Rochestown and the other four as well are lying. Yeah, the, the, those four I pass every day, they would be regarded as high-end executive houses. I don't know what went wrong there. Uh, but somebody should be detailed to investigate, to, to maybe purchase or, or make the developer good uh, and sell these on to first-time buyers or something. Uh, yeah, no I've got to leave it there, but Frank, th- thanks a million, though. It's, no problem, uh, no problem. Take yeah. care. And and I come, I need to take a quick break and come back to Jim in a moment. Thanks for holding, Jim. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. Coming up on 6 Minutes to 11. Jim, thanks for holding and good morning. No problem, boy. How are you? Just, just a quick thing on the property there, and it's just about governments do very little, um, you know, with regards to all these empty properties. And I'm just thinking there, maybe one good thing was, you know, people are scared when they sell a property, they, they kind of get caught for tax. And, mm-hmm. you know, especially the wrecked homes, you know, like if the government could come up with a system, whereas if you had a, an old property and you sold it, 
and it was under 200,000 that you'd be tax exempt if you sold it to a first time buyer. That would really, that would put a lot of property on the market. That's not a bad it's, idea, it's, actually. The machine the government are going to come up with a good idea. <laughs> so, you know, like, it, but something, you know, they're, they're not coming up with it. They'll all moan and they'll just show crisis, crisis, but no one's doing nothing. They're no tank, tank, you know, simple stuff, tax cures, everything. But if you give all the young people the chance to buy a house under 200,000, it will give a person the opportunity to get rid of and unload a property that's around on net. And the tax, they'll be tax free and the young person will get a cheap, cheap house ready to go. Yeah, ma- simple like that. Ma- many people my age survived the onslaught of the 1980s recession to stay in this country and work in this country. Many didn't. Uh, now many are coming back now with, uh, with amassed wealth from overseas and many have made their new homes overseas but I think we're once again looking at a generation now of college leavers uh, who will have no choice but to leave this country for a better life because they can't afford to live here well I mean Mike you, you can go right back to the 85s there when there was a recession in this country and people left and the people left stayed here it wasn't easy to stay here you know you might remember the revenue I remember construction and the revenues be running onto sites chasing men off sites because they were signing and walking trying to keep their families it was horrendous the 85s in the right into the 90s what the government was owned to people here. You remember the 17% more mortgage interest rate? I, I'd say 21% when I, when I got my one just called bridging. Unbelievable. And, and I, that's what it was. But then the mortgages were only 25, 30,000, you know, so it was kind of pro rata, you know. Mm. But uh, they're making big money now. But I mean, the 85s and the 90s were not easy and what the government done to people like chasing people. It was horrendous. You know, now, now this is easy something to forget about people and just you know, especially the young people. I mean, they're telling the young people to emigrate. There's nothing here from. If you're 25 or 30 years of age, you have a girlfriend, you know you can't buy a house. You know you're not going to get set up. This is why they're cranky and moody. And, and you're going to be this rearing children probably in an ever-worsening situation. Uh, so your, your idea is not a bad one at all. Uh, if a person who has two or three properties, maybe some of them in need of some repair or a lot of repair... Uh, but that they, they, they should be given a tax exemption if they were sold to a, f- a genuinely qualified first-time buyer. Under 200,000, you're tax exempt. Get rid of it. Give it to the young people and give, it, give them a chance. This will take a lot of money. No, a lot of the properties that you're saying, the 10,000 properties that you're looking at there, right? Some of these are famine homes. There's only three walls in them. But if you look at the Orange Survey maps, these look as if they're homes. They're not. These are all stone walls around, you know, you go on your holidays, you'd see them. They're all registering as properties not being lived in. That's yeah. crazy. Well, I, I think a, a proper you know? examination of the recent census would, would, would tell a lot, and I'm sure they have experts doing that. Uh, just on clarification, Jim, uh, we got a text to say a lot of the houses that seem abandoned were taken back by the banks. Uh, um, this text just says our property was taken back in 2014. It was only sold by the bank last year. These abandoned houses are tied up in legal red tape. So that's more of it. It is, and um, it has a point of it as well. I mean, yeah. nobody... Nobody's investigating them. The billions gone missing there, and nobody's looking at it. They shut it down and they handed something like two billion back to the government. That's another day's I mean, work and another day's program. Oh, Gotta go for news, Jim. Thanks a million. All right. we'll talk to you Cheers. All right. Thanks. Bye bye. Yeah, you can call us 0818 104 or text or SMS or WhatsApp 086 News next. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national, and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. 104 to 106 Red FM This is the Neil Frienderville Show
And before we get back into the final hour of the business of the programme, I just want to say congrats to the crew here at uh, Cork's Red FM. The shortlist for the IMRO Awards, as you'll have heard Lana announcing on the news, was just released a short while ago. And we're we're delighted to announce that the Neil Prendival Show has been nominated in three categories. Radio Moment of the Year, Interactive Speech Programme, and Neil himself has been put forward for Local Stroke Regional Speech Broadcaster of the Year. So congrats to all uh, and the production team here as well who worked so hard uh, to make this job, for me anyway, a pleasure and an ease to uh, commit to and to present. And I'm sure Neil feels the same. So uh, well done to all the team here. Other nominations across Red FM include our sports broadcaster, Rory O'Hagan, for Local Regional Sports uh, Broadcaster of the Year. If there was a category for uh, tennis player second names, then I think Rory would certainly win that one because he is the pronunciation king. And also, of course, Rory contributes to the Big Red Bench. And that tribute to Jerry Harris. I'm not sure if it was Rory or one of the other guys here, uh, but that it was Rory, was it okay? Uh, to Jerry Harris getting a nomination in the Local Stroke Regional Sports Programme category. Uh, as well as that, Red FM has been nominated uh, in the On Air Competition Stroke Promotion category for turning into Ed FM. I remember listening to. Uh, uh, Red FM that day and watching the actual change on the, you know, the kind of display you have on your on your car radio. And I said, how are they going to do this? And uh, it changed for just that moment when they said it was going to happen. It changed from Red FM to Ed FM. And then we saw all of uh, the patrollers going around with Ed FM and Ed's picture. Uh, basically block, blocking out the uh, the ore and the red and it was a great uh, weekend promotion. Uh, so credit where credit is due to all involved here and the great team at Red FM. Now then, uh, we have lots to do on the programme still. and uh, We have uh, on uh, line one, we have Cahill. Uh, good morning, Cahill. Hi, Cahill. Hi, how are things? Very good. We're back to the topic that we started with Paddy. Uh, I believe Paddy has run for election before in the local elections, and I'll give you some detail on that, by the way, just to, because uh, uh, Paddy was, a, you know, the, uh, I'm not sure if you heard Paddy Bullman's full interview, uh, but someone said, why don't you run? Uh, Paddy was in touch to reply to that texter uh, why he hasn't ran in the elections. He said he did run four times, twice in the locals, twice in generals as an independent. And the furthest he got was third count in 2016. Also, there's a few people asking about the name of that Christy Moore song. Uh, it's called Lingo Politico. I'm going to play it for you in a few minutes' time. But back to you, Carl. You have the airwaves on politics and running the country. Well, I don't know, would I be much good at either? But, um, yeah, look, I've been homeless now, I suppose, now with the last kind of three years. And I kind of started before the pandemic and um, didn't fucking... I'm kind of back working now with the last uh, couple of months or whatever. But uh, even trying to live in there now is near fuck. It, it's, <coughs> it's, it's a disgrace. And you try and keep the language out if you can. Yeah. Uh, you yeah, know, the young people are listening as well. Yeah, it's just a disgrace to carry on. Um, I asked if I could get a room at uh, the back of the building uh, just so I can get some sleep because people, you know, people now for, with their, for, you could say, with their feet of drink there now late at night to be shouting and roaring. There's always some drama <laughs> and trying to get sleep is near impossible. And um, yeah, no, it's just... So you're, you're working full time, are you, Carl? 
I am, yeah. And uh, just trying to even get anything is, you're just being told no. And uh, to be honest, I'm like, not being biased now against any of the Ukrainians or whatever. But um, last November, I was told uh, that I should be housed before the summer. Okay. And uh, then uh, my key worker at the time went in, like she heard what was said. And then I went in five, four or five months later. And it goes, oh, that, we never said such a thing. And that was obviously after the war starting and all this. And the, uh, I suppose the, the heavy amount of, uh, to, you could, I suppose, Ukrainians coming into the country at the time. And, um, like, I've been, I suppose, going through their services now with nearly three years. And um, So you're living in Simon, you're working full time and you can't even get a night's sleep. It's a, it's a struggle, like yeah. And, um, and even on, for, on a full time like, wage, Carl, could, could you not afford to rent a room somewhere in the house share? Sure, you're you're talking six, seven hundred euro for just a room in the city centre and surrounding. And you need to be in the city centre, do you? Well, yeah, well, yeah. To be honest, yeah. So, you know, are like you frustrated on how homeless people are being treated here? Yeah, completely, completely. Because like, I I haven't seen one. Ukrainian person go through the homeless services. Like, where, like, where, like, there's what, 20, 30,000 of them have to come into the country and now, like, do they, do they just come off a boat and start literally pampered into a hotel or whatever? Because I haven't seen one of them do a struggle like any Irish person or any other nationality that has mm-hmm. gone through the homeless system. Do, yeah. do you know how many Ukrainians are being sheltered by the country of Poland? Oh, yeah, I haven't a clue, but nearly Poland five is. million. Yeah, but Poland, no, like, we're, what, a fraction of what Poland is, do you know, in size and capacity, like, mm-hmm. do you know, like, I'm not, I'm not being biased, like, like, I understand what they're going through is absolutely horrendous, and, but, like, come on, like, you have to think of your own first, do you know, Leo, Leo, right, and Michal Martin, sure, they, would, they, they wouldn't even have been in power if they didn't join in for a coalition. Like, so what did Leo get in? He came in on, like, the fifth or the I sixth I think he came in on the fifth count. count. I think Simon Coveney came in on the uh, on the sixth count. Uh, I know that um, Sinn Féin's was Donegal Lyric, top the pole here in Cork, South Central. Yeah. Uh, Michael McGrath would have been second, I think. Uh, and that's ahead of his party leader. Yeah, yeah. Like, 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 only for them joining coalition, like, they wouldn't even be in power. And you're getting, like, it's just, I don't know. It, it wouldn't matter who's in power because, because they're all for themselves. Yeah, well, I mean, if, if you can put the numbers together, and no matter how unlikely, as I mentioned, the coalition is, you're going to be in power. And you're going to share that power for five years as long as uh, somebody doesn't topple the government. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there's nearly been an issue with every government with, this, with the last, how, I don't know, as long as I'm alive anyway. So know, what hope do you to... have, Cahill? Uh, Sorry? What hope do you have working full time and not well, being just, able to even afford I just, I just, a room? I just, want, I just want to get housed. I suppose as soon look if I got housed, you know, like that takes a huge strain off, like because like I don't have to worry about am I going to get some sleep tonight? Is there going to be a fucking load of commotion out the front? Or you know, it's just trying to get on with it. It's just trying to get on with life. It's hard. Yeah, you okay. know, you work, you pay tax. And you're still in essentially a homeless hostel. Yeah, yeah, do you know. Yeah. Um, it's fucking look, I'm look, I know I'm not an ideal person. Like I'm, like, yeah. do you know. Got to stop I, the I, language, Carl. We, we can't continue if. 
Oh, sorry, my apologies. <laughs> Sometimes people don't know they're saying it. I don't yeah, know how yeah. I, I, I avoid it here on the air because I, I'd be quite prolific when, <laughs> when I'm off the air. But uh, anyway, look, uh, you say you're far from a perfect person, but you're trying. It's like getting your, your, as an Irish citizen, getting pushed down lower and lower. You were told yeah. by the APS should be housed before the summer. Then the war happened or the invasion happened and the APS denied they ever said this. Uh, you, of course, you want to keep your anonymity. I know Cahill isn't your real name, but uh, wh- where do you go from here? Do you keep working? Uh, do you keep trying to get housed? Have you ever thought about maybe leaving these fine shores and looking for something brighter and better? No, oh, it is. It's hard. It's a hard one to fucking. It's sorry, sorry. It's a hard one to kind of go on. I don't know. Like it's. I don't know. It's like I like I don't know what it like. I don't know what it is like to feel like a refugee in another country. But I could imagine it's the way I feel. Yeah. Okay. Do you know. You feel like a refugee in your own country. Yeah, um, and, I, and, I, and I'd say most, most other homeless people within the country, I'd say, can, could say the same. Okay. Uh, do you know many homeless people who are working full-time jobs? I do. I know, uh, well, I know, I know a good few, actually, no telling yeah. the truth. Yeah. And they're still looking for a roof over their heads. Is, is there a possibility that, I'm just thinking out loud here, is there a possibility three or four of you could come together and, uh, and maybe be, try to be housed together? That's four off the... Off the requirement of the housing list. But if that's not the way the council would look at it, or like, then you'd have to worry, then if one person mess or messes yeah, up. Yeah, they'd, they'd, they'd have legal rights or whatever, yeah. Yeah, yeah and say if one person was short on rent, then like, you'd have to worry about, you know, like, it's hard enough to worry about yourself. Mm. Do you know? Well, I appreciate and it. Thank, th- thanks a million, Carl. I wish you the best. I actually don't know how to advise you here because if you're working full time, uh, you know, that's taking 40 hours out of your week. If you can't get sleep, uh, it must be even harder to work full time. And if you can't get housing, you can't get a roof over your head uh, or even afford a room. You're, you're kind of caught between a rock and a hard place, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. And it, it just, it's a, it's a shame. It's a yeah. shame the way just even homeless people are being treated throughout the country like... It was a problem that pre-existed Brexit. It was a problem that pre-existed COVID. And homelessness was a huge problem that pre-existed the invasion of Ukraine. Uh, yeah. And there's still yeah. nothing done to alleviate the problem. They'll, yeah. they, they'll no. wax lyrical, will the politicians. Anyway, thanks, Carl. No matter. Cheers. Okay, thanks. cheers. Thanks. thanks. Okay, I've uh, just been handed the, uh, uh, the odds, the Boyle Sports odds. Uh, Michael McGrath currently rated the second favourite at three to one as the next Fianna Fáil leader. The Boyle Sports odds are nine to four on Jim O'Callaghan, three to one on Michael McGrath, thirteen to two on James Lawless, seven to one on Barry Cohen, eight to one on Dara O'Brien, eight to one on Jack Chambers, eleven to one on Dara Kaliri. Uh, Mr. Kaliri's making his way back into the uh, government favour, isn't he? I expect him. He will probably take over uh, that recently vacated Robert Troy position. Uh, of course, he uh, um, fell into unfavour after the Golfgate incident, and um, is now, I expect, making his back way and uh, his way back into the favour of government. Let's see if he's appointed by Antishik. Twelve to one, Thomas Byrne. Twelve to one, Norma Foley. Fourteen to one, Niall Collins, and twenty-five to one, the rest of the field. Now, staying and maybe finishing with the political uh, system, I was asked uh, by several texters after uh, I made that little uh, excerpt in comment from the words of this song uh, to explain what exactly uh, it's not the most best known Christie song though, uh, though I think it's uh, one of the more clever Christie Moore songs this is a song from the Aran Islands written by the great songwriter Pat Quinn uh, it's called Lingo Politico and here Christy Moore and uh, with the words of, uh, of Pat Quinn will uh, explain to you exactly how he feels 
about politicians. The great Christy Moore with the great song written by the Aran Island songwriter Pat Quinn. It's called Lingo Politico, if you want to look it up online or whatever. It's 22 minutes past 11. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818-104-106, Red FM. And a very good morning from the Neil Prenderville Show at 24 minutes past 11. This is Mick Mulcahy. Please don't read out my name, Mick. I cannot be the only person, however, who was flummoxed by the decision of Cork uh, CCC. Is that Cork County Council or Cork City Council? Uh, to raise City, I think. To raise, uh, to raise parking permit charges in the middle of a cost of living crisis. The increases are dramatic and are quite prohibitive. This would, of course, be fine if we had a functioning transport system unmarred by antisocial behaviour, which was reliable and didn't cost an arm and a leg to travel longer distances on. I'm thinking specifically of the Cork to West Cork bus air and prices. The pandemic has also shown that public transport can be a vector for disease in such instances and capacity on those services can be reduced. Cycling infrastructure around the city, while improving, is still very poor. I understand that we need to reduce the reliance on the car, but the way to do that is not to penalise the average workers, residents and students of Cork. The new parking permit system proposes an increased payment for each additional permit for a residence. How does this work? In a situation where many are house-sharing with people that they do not know, who decides who gets the cheaper permits? They're on a first-come, first-served basis. I imagine that will make for delightful living situations. And the fourth person to apply? Well, tough luck. They can't have one. The decision by CCC willfully ignores the living circumstances of most people and the realities of the people's living situations necessitated by the government's failure on housing. I agree that in a normal household, three cars or even less are more than sufficient. But when you have a situation of anywhere up to six and above adults in a house trying to live their lives and get to work, sharing of vehicles is impractical. As we all know, many people are both forced to stay in properties without rental agreements and in properties that are not registered with the RTB. Well, now, courtesy of Cork City Council, if you cannot provide proof of a rental agreement and that the property that you rent is registered with the RTB, you cannot get a permit to park your car. Again, the tenant is made suffer because of the behaviour of certain landlords. And what are these people to do? There is not a wealth of properties available to move to. They're stuck and they're being further punished for the government allowing the housing crisis to flourish. I just cannot believe that the normal people of Cork are being put through this additional economic stress at a time when I and thousands of others don't know if we'll be uh, able to afford the heating and electricity prices coming uh, this winter, especially with increases coming down the line. People will say that it's the people's own choice uh, own choice to live in accommodation without on-site parking. But what choice do most of us have in regard to rental properties at the moment? Regards a very fed-up person. And your calls and comments are welcome on that by phone on 0818-104-106 by SMS text or WhatsApp on 0868-104-106. Now to something completely different. And uh, let's say good morning to Connor on line one. Hi, Connor. How's it going, Mick? Very good. Uh, you're quite the iron man, aren't you? You're going to run... Let the, just the enormity of this. 32 mar- uh, marathons in 32 counties, and we are carrying 32 pounds. Yeah, I, I, I started day one with 32 pounds, and after each marathon, uh, I, I lost a pound out of the weighted vest. Okay, so one pound taken out. One pound, yeah. Okay, so you ran the 32 marathons. 
Yes. Yeah, I just wow. finished up on Sunday, the 28th of August. Um, just uh, just this past Sunday, um, I finished up the last marathon and finished it in, in Cork City. How long, you know, if you're going to climb Mount Everest, you don't do it by, you know, I'm going to go next May. You're going to have to plan this sort of stuff for three or four years and get yourself in condition and, and that kind of thing. How long do you prepare to run 32 marathons in 32 um, counties? I, I started the planning process for uh, Project 32 and the training for it in 2019. But of course, we had a pandemic come along and uh, throw everything in our lives kind of off kilter. And um, so it was postponed almost indefinitely. Uh, but I always kind of kept it in sight. And I, 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 I always train hard anyway, like throughout my uh, day to day. Like I, I, in, the, in the meantime, I was actually featured on RT Ultimate Hell Week as well, which I was training for. Uh, I trained for other ultra marathon races and things like that. And I actually had to postpone Project 32 uh, in November of 2021 as well because of injury. Okay. And I kind of had gotten to the point where I was like, I don't know if... Project 32 is ever going to come to fruition. Um, but when I when it when start of 2022 came, uh, I said, right, this is this is the year. This is when it's going to happen. And uh, I found out um, I found out that I was going to be a father uh, in February. Um, so I, I'm I'm nearly we're, we're nearly due to have our first child in September. I Congratulations! Yeah, next month that. is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The end of next month. Yeah, um, uh, our first our first uh, child is is due to arrive. I said, I better get it out of the way before that happens because yeah. I won't be able to go down five and six hour training runs uh, when there's a baby boy to be looking after. So And not with two or three hours sleep either. No, 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 no. Oh, yeah, no, I do. I need to be getting my rest. I need to be getting my sleep. So I, I'll get it done before he arrives. Your biggest marathon is coming down the track. And I say, Connor, your biggest marathon. Uh, and I, I mean that in a nice and positive way, of course. Yes. Oh yeah, no, I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be quite an adventure, like, you know, just uh, uh, bringing this, this baby boy into the world. Yeah, and of course you want to bring up a child that you can be proud of and that will be proud of you. And with that in mind, we're going to bring your father on the line. Hi, Greg. Hi, Mick. How are you getting on? Good. Now, you were there apparently every step with Connor. Does that mean you were driving alongside or running alongside? Uh, I wasn't running. My, <laughs> my running days are uh, long in the dim and distant past uh, at this stage. But I was behind him on on, on the bike. Um, yeah, the, that was a, my own personal um, suffering because I hadn't been on a bike in two years since uh, my wife Michelle ha- had an accident off the bike and uh, she was the one that got injured but I, you know, it was just something that we did together uh, I didn't get back in the saddle either so I had the first uh, four or five days with Connor with a racing saddle and I just felt like uh, Sean Ogo Halpine had taken a hurley to my nether <laughs> regions and uh, <laughs> yeah so that, that, was a, that was my introduction to Connor's great adventure. Okay, and did you see how much he struggled, particularly with the 32 pounds on? Uh, yeah, in the beginning it was difficult, Mick, you know, and like, like any dad, uh, you, 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 you have, you know, this concern that never leaves you, no matter how old your kid gets, uh, and he's, you know, he's a, he's a man himself. But, uh, and, and, you know, I, I spent a lifetime in the, in, in the defence forces and uh, carrying, you know, big weights uh, up and down hills uh, occasionally. So I knew what, what, you know, the pressure his frame was under. But uh, fair play himself, uh, he, he put the work in. But his coach, uh, Donica Long, Donica Fit for Long, he, he trades under. 
had him in magnificent condition. You know, his, his strength and conditioning was just absolutely spot on. Okay, uh, what, 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 what sort of water would you, would you need each day? And what sort of weight would you lose running a marathon? Yeah, this had gone full circle, Mick. Uh, I started off his life uh, just making bottles, uh, endless, endless bottles. And uh, <laughs> just uh, with it, uh, I spent the last month, he, he, he juiced up with, with six bottles there. They had to be made uh, at night time when he was... Uh, lying calm to us on the bed. So, yeah, so it's sort of isotonic material, is it? Yeah, it's, you know, he was on maltodextrin and um, a sachet of McDonald's salt. Thank you, Ronald's McDonald's. And uh, a hydration tablet. And just, you know, the, the maltodextrin was just pure carbs. So well, he was burning between five and 6,000 calories a day. So he had to take in, you know, the 2,500 while he was running. You and I would need to take in Two and a half thousand, just walking around, breathing in and out, and, and doing our normal day to day. So he had to double up on that. So he yeah. had to take in that two and a half on the go. You know. Yeah, you've become quite an expert on this, Greg. Have you? Uh, anybody that wants to tackle anything mad, just give me a call there, and I'm I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and uh, just before I go back to to Connor, how does the impending grandfatherhood uh, shine on you? Are you a granddad already? Uh, I'm a granddad already, Mick, yeah, an old, old hand at this thing. You know, um, I, I suppose, it, to, to put it into perspective, uh, where where Connor is concerned, uh, Connor is about to become a dad. And, you know, I, I got to spend this time with uh, with my son. Uh, you know that Connor was raising the money for Pieta House. That's and, right. And, and uh, there are lots and lots of mums and dads around the country whose uh, children are no longer with them, you know, for um, this this money, we hope, uh, will go towards providing services, you know, providing a degree of comfort to those mums and dads. I, I got to spend a month uh, with my son, you know, round the clock, and they will never get that, that chance uh, with some of the kids who, who you know, who, who, who've uh, shuffled off this, this mortal coil. And uh, we we would hope that what Connor has done uh, in, in raising awareness and in raising the money will go uh, some small way towards towards bringing a, a little bit of relief and comfort. Connor's, of course, looking forward to this, this massive uh, adventure that's starting. It's the, the the biggest one, the he biggest will ever one, yeah. and the one that lasts the longest. Uh, I can tell you. Um, yeah, and, and we are too. We're absolutely delighted. To All right. Like a little man. Okay, it's just the enormity of the project made, made me concentrate on that first. And then, of course, with, with, with a new child very happily on the way uh, yeah. to, to concentrate on, you know, I suppose the intergenerational um, experience here. But, of course, it's a very serious uh, project and cause that you're raising money for. Uh, and you're not quite there. 67,000 raised, which is remarkable and creditable. Um, but you had a goal of a hundred thousand. When you have a goal, Connor, I think you normally you normally smash it, do you? Yeah, I well, I, I try my very very best too. And uh, I, I look oftentimes, uh, Nick, we when you try to reach for the things on the top shelf, you end up falling very very far, and you end up failing on these things. But I don't think that I'm going to fail at this one. I think that people are are only really starting to rally around the project now and realise, well, it's actually it's actually you know possible. And he did it. And there's more money trickling in every day, but we definitely need to boost those numbers if we want to reach our target and hit 100 grand for, for a Pieta house. Okay. And uh, Connor, did you have your own troubles in, in the area of mental health? Is that why you were drawn towards this very worthy cause? 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think, look, I, I, I think it's quite a co- common occurrence, but throughout my teen years um, I, and in my, you know, 20s, my, my early and mid-20s, you know, I, I drifted through long periods of time in my life, completely utterly lost, listless, uh, not wanting to get out of bed. Um, I had had suicide ideation at times uh, in my life, um, especially when, it, when, when I was uh, mixing with alcohol uh, quite regularly and using that as a crutch um, to kind of get, get me through the day-to-day um, thoughts that were in my mind. Um, so I think that's, that's one of the reasons why, you know, I, I, I wanted to put the weight back on again was I had had that, that mental weight on me for so long and because of the work that I have put into to myself, and not 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 through running or anything like that, but just the work I've done to myself and repairing the relationship I have with myself. Um, yeah. I, I I've lost that weight, you know, and and that's why I wanted to put it back on again. And Greg, a, a, as a father, you obviously watched your son going through this turmoil, or this lethargy, or this lack of lust for life. I suppose. Um, how did you see him coming out of it? What what was the kind of a what was the you know, touch paper the, moment, if you like? The really, the really strange thing uh, uh, about that uh, is, uh, um, like so many uh, parents, you know, who, who haven't had the, the happy outcome uh, that we have had and, and see their son come through this, uh, we had absolutely no idea that Connor was going through this. Outwardly, he was this happy-go-lucky guy who, you know, masses of friends, a good job, making good money. Uh, etc. We had absolutely no idea the, the inner torment that he was facing. I'm absolutely sure, you know, we, we, we mentioned being at a house that, uh, you know, there are lots and lots of parents uh, who, are, who are out there and who haven't had the happy outcome that, that me and Michelle have had. Uh, so, yeah, it will come as no surprise to those people to, to, for me, you know, to, to hear me say that we had absolutely no idea what was going on. Uh, not that we hit it, uh, it was just that it was something that he was going through, and he was going through it by himself, and, and we didn't have uh, an absolute breeze uh, of what was going on. Mm-hmm. Okay, just uh, just as a quick aside, guys, just need to do this. I, I, we've got a call from the guards in Anglesey Street to say there's a major accident at the bottom of Cars Hill between the roundabout and the turnoff for Raffine. Now, that's a, a kind of a route into uh, Monkstown Passage in Glenbrook, uh, so please avoid the area if you can. Maybe uh, go up and over it. Use the Rochestown Road. Uh, you've got uh, a major accident at the bottom of Cars Hill between the roundabout and the turnoff for Raffine. Diversions are already in place, so please be aware of that. Back to what your father said there, uh, uh, Connor. Is, is it something you were consciously hiding or, or, you know, suppressing? Is it that you didn't want your parents worried? And if so, why did you suffer alone? Do, do you know what the, the main thing in my mind was, was actually guilt. Um, I, I felt guilty about feeling so bad because I had so many good things going on in my life. A young, fit, healthy guy. Uh, as my dad said, I had friends. I had a great job earning lots of money. And um, I really just felt like, you know, what, what, what do you have to be complaining about? What do you have to be, uh, you know, telling people that you're going through a hard time uh, about? And really, that's absolutely, that's nonsense. It's, it's what we tell ourselves, like, you know, and that's, one of the, the kind of, I suppose, the, the common uh, threads to many stories that we will hear um, is that uh, the person doesn't, you know, doesn't want to be burdensome, doesn't want to, uh, to tell people of 
their issues. But what we want people to know is, is that, you know, this is another thing about when I took the pound out of the, the vest every day in the marathon, I handed it to my dad. You know, it's this idea of sharing a problem lightens the load. You know, a problem shared is a problem halved. And I gave that pound to my dad and he put it away and it was his problem. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> You know, I didn't have that anymore on my shoulders, and that's another thing that I wanted to get through to people: is that if we do, if we do open up these conversations, and we do actually um, uh, get a chance to, to air what's happening inside in our minds, we will get an opportunity to continue on and to, to become better. And what advice would you give to anyone who's listening who may be going through, you know, maybe not even identifying with the fact that there's depression or there's a problem in play? Uh, just lethargy and no lust for life and no drive and vigour uh, and wondering what's going on. Would you say talk to somebody or what? Absolutely, yeah. Um, seek help. You know, we, we, we don't have to go through life uh, on our own or trying to, you know, hold our battle standards through the days and storms uh, by ourselves. Like, you know, there are, and there are many different, uh, different charitable organisations and different organisations like Pieta House very much specifically works with people that have suicide ideation that are thinking of taking their own lives. If there's anybody that's listening right now and who is having those thoughts, Pieta House are right there. They're on hand. Uh, 1-800-247-247. And they, they, they are the ones that I would be pointing towards. If people are feeling like that they are depressed, they're feeling like that they have uh, a very much a lackluster attitude to, to life, they don't want to get out of bed in the morning, that so they feel uh, like they're drifting and there are, there are other organizations like Samaritans or they're just all talking to your friend, talking to your family member, and maybe they can help guide you as to your next steps. And, uh, Greg, you were happy to uh, symbolically take that weight uh, off your son, if you like, and from his worries, uh, he, albeit at a late stage, it was a physical weight he was running with. Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, Connor, Connor mentioned the, the symbolism uh, of it, and uh, I suppose... One of the very hardest things that any uh, uh, any young lad or, or girl will 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 face is uh, to kind of open up that conversation with the parent. Um, it's just you know that do almost anything before before they do that. By the same token, you know, uh, parents we we have a, a responsibility to be aware. It's a very very different world from the one that we grew up in. Uh, where you know social media has been an absolute game changer for the way people are living their lives. There's uh, lots of really unrealistic expectations being built up. Uh, you know, our kids are looking at social media uh, at, at a pretty much unattainable picture that's being painted for them. So they're, they're, they are feeling failures. They are feeling that they're not good enough. Uh, that that they're they're not uh, they're never going to fulfil their potential. And we, as parents, really have to be to, to tune in to that world. Uh, something that's you know, as, as I'm, I'm 59 years of age. Uh, a lot of my 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 peers w- would be sort of you know not as au fait with um, w- with, w- with that kind of uh, social media driven world. But Connor has you know, due to his activities, uh, he he's brought me right into it. Mm. I'm really more than happy to to be able to to share it with him and to understand to understand because that's where that's where the, the root of it is the, the understanding. Yeah. You know, other saying, ah, come on, get up out of that and be <laughs> grand. And, you know, it's, the journey's it's, obviously it's, brought you you both much closer. You seem like now you're a, mar- a remarkable team. Oh, the crack, 
it was just unbelievable. And, uh, you know, not just with, with Connor, uh, Mick, but uh, we two, uh, two great guys, Mark Goyery uh, and Evan Shelley, uh, who are making a documentary film on, on Connor's journey, you know, and, and, uh, and, and Tony Long, we've already mentioned, uh, his coach. Uh, like you, I don't think you can get through this kind of thing without uh, knocking a bit of crack out of it as well. Like, All right, Greg. I, uh, I, I want to give a little mention to the to how people can donate for Pieta House, but uh, you mentioned Mark Gyrie. I'm going to let you go, Greg, because I want to bring uh, Mark Gyrie on very quickly with uh, with uh, with the uh, the whole idea here. Mark Gyrie, uh, you followed Connor for 32 days. You were filming him for that short film that Greg just mentioned. Uh, so you're on a bike cycling behind him and part of the crew. You also did the entire journey. Uh, what, what was the purpose of this? Uh, you're highlighting something that happened in, in retrospect. That, you know, that's finished by the time you get to editing and there's no editing done yet, I believe. But we've got footage to look forward to. Are you hoping this will supplement the cash that's coming in for Pieta House? Yeah, definitely, I suppose. I suppose the whole thing around it is to raise awareness for this great cause. Um. And I think a feature documentary, a feature-length documentary, would be the way to do it. You know, um, so yeah, we've we've lots of footage to get through. Um, we haven't started editing yet. That's kind of the next next part of call, really. Um, so yeah, that's uh, we've got, we've got work cut out for us to say the least. And you work with and co- you're a co-founder of Five to Eight Creative. So I assume you have the uh, the skills needed in this area. Yeah. That's it, yeah. Um, Five to Eight Creative. That's our, our media production company here in Cork. It's just, just myself and Evan. So, yeah, I suppose we met Connor three years ago, and we've been kind of trying to get this project up and going for the last three years. A couple of hurdles kind of stopped it from going on uh, each each year, but we finally got it done this year. And I suppose the next part is to sit sit all the lads down and interview them and tell the story. And so we've got Sonica, his father Greg, um, or sorry, Connor. Yeah, but it's going to mention the mental struggles as well. Then, as a start, will it? Yeah, definitely. I suppose it's kind of a it's a, I suppose it's a documentary about Connor's life, you know, from start to finish. So, I suppose his struggle as a young man, um, and what he did to kind of help himself through through all this time, and I suppose eventually leading up to this this massive feat, um, all made of theatre, you know. Mm, okay. And of course, a massive crowd welcoming him uh, home on Sunday at the Lee Fields as well. Uh, before I forget, let me uh, just uh, give you this www.idonate.ie forward slash project 32. Uh, okay, so www.idonate.ie forward slash project 32. Now, you've admitted to almost 67,000 being raised, but the goal is 33,000 more. It's €100,000 for Pieta House. And uh, I can't think of any more worthy cause. Uh, and anyone who's put in more for that cause, 32 marathons in 32 days across 32 counties, shedding just £1 a day to make the load lighter. Uh, as symbolically, I think you're saying, it will be if you share your troubles with somebody, Connor. Yeah, uh, absolutely. That was the, that was the kind of the idea behind the way the best was to uh, to show people a kind of a physical representation of these things of, of our of the mental weight um, and to lose that pound a day. It's 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 a it's definitely a powerful thing. Uh, it's a powerful thing to be witness of, and it's a powerful thing to be part of. Um, just to see, because um, it's almost like uh, what we have to go through in our day-to-day lives to, to lighten our own ways. That the struggles we have to go through—that's the—that is the marathon. That is the forty-two kilometers. That's the price paid uh, for a better life. Is that is that is that you know work that we do on ourselves? Fantastic. 
I don't think we can end on a higher note than that. Uh, but just to give you one of the texts, and this is probably indicative of the texts that are coming in in your support. Uh, what an insightful guy Connor is. His wee baby will be a lucky kid to have a dad like Connor, and Connor is blessed to have a dad like Greg. God bless the two families, and I wish them all the happiness on the planet and a long and healthy life. Thank you very much for all your efforts. Well done, Mark Guyry. Please keep us informed uh, via 528 Creative when that documentary on Mark Guyry will be coming out. Sorry, not on Mark Guyry, but on Connor will be coming out. Uh, if you would, Mark. And uh, once again, it's www.idonate.ie forward slash project 32. So if you look up I Donate and look for project 32, you'll be there. Uh, well done, Connor O'Keefe, 32 counties, 32 pounds. Uh, shedding a pound a day, doing 32 marathons for Pieta House, and you're two-thirds, just over two-thirds of the way there. And Mark Irie and Greg as well for coming on. Thanks, guys, and good morning. Cheers, mate. Thanks. Cheers. All the best. Bye-bye. Can I say something there before I go? Sure, yeah. Yeah, um, I just want to say a huge thank you as well to Tony from West Cork Coffee, who actually gave us some funds to actually get this project done. Without him... We wouldn't have been able to, to take it on. So um, if, you're, if you're a coffee lover, if you're from Cork, if you're from anywhere else, um, if you want to support us as well, um, you, can, you can buy West Cork Coffee from Tony as well as he has supported us. Okay, and where, where can that be found? Where are his outlets? Uh, it's uh, westcorkcoffee.ie. Um, that's the, that's the, the website. Or you can go onto his Instagram page, West Cork Coffee, click the link in the bio, and that's the shop. Um, and Tony has been has, has been supporting me since I used to meet people in the Lee Fields at 5am for 5k runs um, just to kind of create a, a kind of a community element. He met us out there with hot coffees every single morning and stayed there with us for hours, sometimes in the dark and in the rain, just chatting, and he's been with me since the start. So if you want to support myself and you, you like having a cup of coffee at home, West Cork Coffee is the way to go. All right, well done. Credit where Thanks credit so is due. Thanks a million, Conor O'Keefe, and well done on your fantastic achievement. Now, if you've been uh, affected by any of the issues we discussed in in that interview, then the Samaritans are always available on 116123. That's 116123. They will listen and they can find the right people to help you. But it is so important to talk and to share your burdens. The Neil Brenderville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday, 0818-104-106. And what a busy program we've had this morning. Now eight minutes to uh, midday, a final call, and it's to Line 2 and to Pascal Ryan, who's also doing a charitable endeavour. Good morning to you, Pascal. Good morning, Mick. 170k walk this time. Yes, indeed. Something completely different, Mick. Um, we are fundraising for Ballinahastic GAA. We're building a new clubhouse in the village uh, facilities. So when we sat down, we said we would think of something completely different. So the trip to tip with a twist, where we walk from Ballinahastic up to my home club originally in Tipperary, which is Mine Temple Tuhi. And each evening we visit a series of GAA clubs for some um, underage games interviews about stories about um, get, heading to games and Thurles and as well as linking GA communities over the week which is all part of our fundraiser. Okay, uh, pardon me for asking the question I'm uninitiated in GA terms uh, why would a club need to raise money? Shouldn't that be coming from central funds? Uh, part of our fundraising is coming from um, grants um, but we still, our, our, our project is a big project to build a two story facility with a gym so we have some grants uh, which have been approved, but the remaining money has to be fundraised locally within our own, our own club. 
Yeah, I, I often pass the uh, GA facility in Ballinhasic. It's a fine flat field, uh, but it does look a little bereft of uh, a major building. Would that be fair? That is fair. The building itself, uh, the clubhouse, uh, the existing clubhouse is over 50 years old. It has, I suppose, many, many memories inside. Um, great stories about matches. It has facilitated a lot of community events. Well, it's time now to invest in the future for the all the players, both senior and underage and camogies and ladies footballers. We've got an incredible uh, number of uh, members in all those clubs. And you really have to have the correct infrastructure for the future. And this big fundraiser um, is all part of supporting the, the future of our club. Okay. You just reminded me on one hand, uh, pass out condolences uh, to the the family of the late Claire Ronan, who was a huge GAA force uh, around Cove and in Cork Camogie as well. And I just learned of her passing last night and I would have been acquainted with her growing up many, many, many years ago. Uh, I just want to pass out condolences there. Uh, and thank you for reminding me of that. So let's get back to the uh, the uh, the process at hand here. Day three, you're heading from Fromoy to Glanworth onto Mitchellstown and Ballylanders. GAA strongholds all. All the GAA and all these clubs have been really, truly fantastic. So we started last Sunday and we left from Ballinhasic. We had 16 walkers who walked from Ballinhasic over to SARS. And we had a lovely evening in SARS where we played under seven, under eight games. We had a lovely interview with Pat Ryan, the Cork City Hurler manager, and um, with the other club members. Then yesterday we left SARS and we went over to Bride Rovers. And again, a fantastic evening of Camogie under 10 Camogie games and great interviews with John Arnold. Stories about GA um, heading to Torlis and great, great stories that we will have on video and sharing back to the clubs again. And today now we leave Bride Rovers and we head over to Glanworth and we're looking forward to a lovely evening in Glanworth. Okay, so, so it's then, almost like a baton relay race between uh, those who love GAA and the clubs that will welcome you. Exactly. Linking GAA communities, telling stories, and I suppose... For all those GA fans out there, we're replicating how generations of old travelled to Turles. And I suppose in honour of those, some of them cycled, some of them walked long journeys to get the lifts to Turles to matches. So I suppose in honour of those, and for all those GA fans out there, we hope that everyone get behind this fundraiser and right. support all in that. Thanks, Pascal. Uh, your target €60,000. Donations can be made at www.ballinhassigtriptotip.com. The only trip to tip I ever made was for Fela. Indeed, this is a trip to tip with a twist, so okay. please get behind it. com, and thank you Pascal Ryan from Ballinhasig GAA. Thanks a million. Now, a couple of minutes to go. Hi Mick, uh, I recently and reluctantly a couple of months ago switched from Borgash to Energia. I told Borgash that my preference was to stay with them uh, as I was with them for the past two years. Uh, I told them I was being offered a more competitive rate from Energia to switch. They told me they could not match. Yet, if I'd been switching from another supplier, i.e. a new board gash, uh, they would have offered me uh, a better rate. Yet, as a loyal client, they let me walk. On leaving them, board gash owed me €300, Euro, as I was on a level pay account. When I didn't get my refund... I made contact with them. Long story short, they told me it was Borgash policy that its client made contact with them to request my refund, even though my online account with them confirmed that I was owed this money from them. If I did not, my refund would not be processed. Uh, when I escalated this to, uh, to management to make a formal complaint, I was eventually left a message by a manager saying she endeavoured to make contact with me on a number of occasions. 
Now, perhaps she did, but no message was left indicating she was endeavouring to make contact at all. I eventually emailed her whereby she informed me that the refund was processed and that if I still wished to speak to her to let her know. Needless to say, I emailed my desire to speak with her just to vent my confusion and frustration around the legality of their policy not to refund its client unless requested. Needlessly, uh, needless to say, I never heard back from her. Sorry I can't come on air. Please don't mention my name. Uh, just letting people know if they're on the level pay scheme to be careful. Uh, our lines are open till about 12.15 on 0818-104-106 by text and WhatsApp on 8, uh, 086-8104-106. And my thanks to the programme's producers, Seamus Whelan, Clara Connor, and Kevin Galvin. Have a good day. Talk to you tomorrow after news at 9. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.